Hey there. Hello. The, the beloved Spinecrackers audience. We How welcome you? you to yet another episode. Episode what? What number is this? 33, maybe? Let me double check. Damn. Hold on. Hold on. That's a lucky number. This is going to be... The Rings. Is it? What? Is it? Is that true? Well, it's like the age that uh, if you're if you're a hobby and you turn 33, it's the age of... I guess it's not lucky. It's just like the age of... Uh, like coming into your adulthood, I think. Yeah, this is episode thirty-three, dude. So we're lucky hobbits. Great, Frodo's. Wait, is so I also how old? What's the Hobbit? 33. I'm thirty-three too. So me too. Oh shit! We're also lucky hobbits. I guess I'm gonna open this uh, logger then. Are we? Um, cheers. Cheers. Are we? Uh, we're all. I'm. I don't know about you all, but I'm perfectly appropriately tipsy for the book we're gonna be reviewing this evening and discussing. Yes. I'm about to ingest really? the same things that killed the writer of this book. Eh. And his character. I'm drinking milk, actually. Ew. Who drinks fucking <laughs> milk? Uh, it's lactose-free. Lacto- drinking milk is fucking canceled. I like milk. No, God, I can't. <laughs> yeah, milk's not bad. It's just not like... Like a tall glass of milk no. to just like coat your in a, tongue in a mug. and throat before you little, speak. Why do you have to say that? <laughs> it's a little Maxwell House mug, tiny mug. Paul, you gotta okay. be you gotta be drinking a cocktail for this book, man. I have yeah, one beer over here that I'm gonna I'm gonna meander mosey over to eventually. First thing I want to say before I forget is that we love you. You're the best audience in the world, and we would love it if you subscribe to our YouTube channel and our Patreon if you're into that. And yes. follow our Instagram, patreon.com slash spinecrackers, youtube.com slash spinecrackers, Instagram. Thank spinecrackers. you. I always forget and say it like two and a half hours into the goddamn show. Yeah, it's no good. Not No one's going to care. No one's going to care and we're listening And if you do far. a quick quick shopkeeping spiel right at the top, yep. we've done all the research. We've polished this thing like we keep saying until That's it's, right. you, you can see your face in it. What? Uh, <laughs> Oh, we God. know everything, and now we, we're guaranteed success because we re- we read all the rules. That's right. That's right. We, the the podcast or podcaster handbook. Yeah. What's, so what's up? How to podcast for dummies? How to podcast for complete fucking incel losers? <laughs> no podcasting. I should. I would write that book. The Zen, how to which one? How to podcast for incel losers. Really? You think they need that help? That help in that one round? They don't, well, they might. They probably need help, but they don't need the encouragement. That's my for favorite. Sure. Are like uh, my favorite things are like uh, you know because podcasting is such like a ubiquitous medium that like 
the threshold to entry is so low, but there's still these like um, weird grifters out there that like they do podcasts and like will do like informational videos about <laughs> like like here's how you get started to make sure your podcast is the oh, best yeah. it can possibly be. I get emails from Patreon all the time about seminars and like <laughs> oh we're gonna have well, yeah. I mean, it's, they have, you know, I don't know who's like the top Patreon people anymore, but it's, you know, like Chapo and whatever. It's like, oh, we're going to have this person from this top Patreon thing talking about how to make their, your Patreon successful. I'm like, this is how awful. How many people, how many people, well, I guess, I mean, I don't know enough. Like, it's probably a lot. I know that like, there's like places like Gimlet Studio and stuff that do like the super like fucking stereo lab or radio lab rather uh like npr you know like music bumpers right kind of pr high production but then like some of the best paid ones are like just fucking you know it's like come town it's like right yeah their their audio is breaking all the time and they're just actively trying to do a bad job because that's the jokes and so it's and like, that's <laughs> the yeah i mean that's the thing is there's no one way whatever this is maybe a separate episode, but yeah, there's no one way to do all this, to do any of this shit, right? A lot of ways to skin a cat. That's right. There's a lot of ways to pay, to make money online. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should try doing a, well maybe said. we should try doing a podcast someday. You have any ideas? Yeah, dude. If you want us Pinecrackers OnlyFans, let us know. We'll, we can oh, see what God. we can do. I'll do like, close-ups um, of our nips. Yeah. Yeah. That's, Nip shots I mean, only. shit. And dicks. I... <laughs> Let's be real. Or buttholes. Whatever. Or buttholes. Or knees or feet. And the game it'll is so close as it is. Yeah. It'll be so close up that, like, it'll be a sort of indistinguishable patch of flesh. And you I did um, one, of my, one of my favorite... Uh, jokes that I did when I was like 15 or whatever or 16 is I had to do a PowerPoint presentation in high school. Oh, I know this. Joke. And I just made it. I made all the backgrounds just zoomed in pictures of porn, but like so close. You, it was just a color. <laughs> yeah. And I thought wow, it was so you're... funny. I thought it was the funniest thing ever at the time. I saw somebody. I think it was Tyler Durden saw... shit. Yes, kind of. I'm the, I'm the Joker, dude. I'm, I'm you the, are the Joker. I'm the Spanish. I'm the eighth grade Spanish Joker. <laughs> Tyler <laughs> Joker. I had a friend do that. I'm too, not Spanish. I mean, in Spanish class. In you Spanish know what I mean? Class. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, and uh, she she did that as well. That joke, and then um, it there was like a brief moment where one of the slides like rendered quite quick really oh, quick. Oh God! So it was just the un it was not the unblown up just like to fit the frame like still porno pornographic still yikes just for like a half a second. <laughs> Oof! Yeah, and it was just like a playing with fire, like, just getting fisted just for like a half of a second, God. and then it was like whoop. <laughs> she was like, anyway, now let's talk about Columbus. the Assyrian Empire. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They called it the cradle of civilization. God. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of civilization. Um, <laughs> Not beautifully done. Nice. <laughs> the book. Uh, you guys want to talk about the book for the week? Yeah. Uh, yes. This is a this is a this is a hitter, as they might say. This is a heavyweight. We said it's a we home were run. doing we were doing homework books for a couple, and this is definitely one of them. Yes. Yeah. Paul, it was partially like to... chosen as a joke. That is true. I think. 
it's, because we were referencing it a lot throughout the podcast. How like it's just it's it's the book that uh, when you think about a fiction book, I feel like this one pops up into my mind the first the first time. <laughs> it's Rick like Gatsby. a word association. Hey, fiction. Uh, Great Gatsby. Great Gatsby. <laughs> <laughs> which is what it is which is what it is that's the book yeah. by the way that that was the big reveal we're talking this about this is dude. one of those you're right paul it's one of those books that like um if someone's like the great gatsby is my favorite book it's a decent percent chance that they stopped reading after like after high school in high school like, yeah. that's sort well, of like the like sort of the judgment <laughs> you, you pass on them for right the most part. right yeah. um, which is why it's a joke well i think uh i think uh Carly, uh, uncarly, Carly, uncarly on YouTube made this point talking about the Great Gatsby. Like, if someone says the Great Gatsby is their favorite book, it's either they are like a literature PhD or they are. It's a huge red flag. It's one of those two things. Like, it's <laughs> that's like, true. That's there's true. no in between. Like, if they're if they say the Great Gatsby is my favorite book, either they that's the only book they remember reading ever, or they're going to talk to you about it literally forever, and they wrote their dissertation on it. Well, hopefully, which we is can Matt's experience. Between. Matt, I kind of want you to talk about your uh, high school experience with this book. Well, we're not going to be in between. I mean, I don't. I wouldn't say it's my favorite book. I just mean we're going to exist in that nether realm between, like, it's it's my life's work to research every sentence, right? And the guy read Fitzgerald's just, like, letters and shit. Yeah, and then the guy who just like read in high school and then was like, ah, thank God, I'm done. <laughs> Uh, no, my, my experience was also just like in high school, I had to read this book. I'm sure a lot of listeners did. And, uh, I had spoken a little bit about this in the like miscellaneous chat, but, um, yeah, I just had a professor who, it, this was his favorite book. He was more, I don't know. Uh Oh, Luther <laughs> likes it too. Uh, that's my dog's name. He just like he he was just like yeah. this is my favorite book. He's like the great American novel cannot be written because it already has been and and it's this and it's a great Gatsby. <laughs> and he was just like the biggest fan. Um and he proceeded to ruin my reading experience of the book and I think everyone in the classes by like yeah. by making us stop every line and just savor the genius of like Fitzgerald's perfectly <laughs> raw turns of phrase and Ring like incisive incisive satirical observations on the nature of 20s america and stuff it's like it was just like agonizing and uh it fucked it up for me for a long time and i'm so glad to have reread it um because yeah it's been long enough and it's it's now a very different thing it's one of those it's one of those texts right where like i had a professor in not in high school but in college who was a Hemingway scholar and it was the same thing. And he just wanted to be Hemingway so bad and <laughs> would just, would, you know, just like one of those, like read a phrase and just like let it linger for like three minutes of total silence in the classroom <laughs> and just like, and then just be, and then, and then just be like, Hmm, damn. Am I right? It was actually, it was kind of reminiscent of Clifford Lee Sargent's book review style. Uh, <laughs> but, but, um, yeah, it, 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 sentences it, swirl around in your mouth like it a does good ruin it. It, it it does ruin a lot of those texts i think whether it's gatsby or hemingway or whatever well because it's not really anything you know it's like a guy liking it in front of you yes yeah. you know that's exactly what <laughs> yeah. it is it's a guy standing and reading a sentence and liking it yeah yeah 
just liking these guys who all drank themselves to death. <laughs> hey, listen, listen. This I'm no not, hate, this, no we hate, won't, we, no judgment. This podcast will not fucking be on record shaming drinking yourself to death. <laughs> no, no. But do it happily, unlike uh, yes. these people, I guess. Yeah, I that's know. true. That's true. It is cringe. If you think it's like cool and makes you like dark and interesting, it's cringe. That's true. Yeah, you're very boring and normal and dumb yeah, and the worst. Um, but so yeah, we're talking you about just enjoy it and just go ahead and do it. That's right. That's yeah. all we're saying. So if you haven't gathered, um, we're talking about the Great Gatsby today by yes. uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald. Here's a fun question that'll give people a, a sense of how much I know about this book. <coughs> what the hell does the F stand for? An F, Scott? Anyone know? <coughs> I think it's made up. That's a funny first question. Fuck. <laughs> no, one uh, knows. no one knows. I mean, no, no, no. It's like, I, I bet if you ask people on the street, like 90% of people wouldn't know. I'm just going to say let's, Francis. Let's guess. Until I'm going to say Fran- Foster. Oh, it's Francis? I'm going to say it's Francis. I'm going to say fuck. Fuck Scott. <laughs> <laughs> it is, that would be great. Francis Scott Key Fitzgerald. Francis Scott Key Fitzgerald. Now, Key, Francis like Scott K-E-Y? Key is another person, right? They wrote the, they wrote the national anthem. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I think so. I don't think he's like direct. I think he's like or no three. He did. I think he's like um or the Star Spangled Banner or something. That's what I mean. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wrote the Star Spangled Banner. Yeah. I think he's <laughs> several orders of remove from that person, but there is some relation there. Yeah. They're actually so, related. Uh, yeah, I think so. Oh shit! Well, he's at least named after him. Clearly. Oh, yes, we get to hear Luther drinking. Yeah, you guys love that, don't you? Giant tongue. <laughs> clop, clop, lop, lop, schlop, schlop. <laughs> um, so, Paul, you actually picked this book, right? And you said it was kind of a joke. But So why did you pick it? Uh, I picked it because I hadn't read it for, since high school. My experience with it in high school was actually like I barely read it because I was a bad student. Um, so I, you know, I think I read maybe half of it. And what I did read, I completely, almost totally forgot. So, like most, I had this different. Texts. Yeah, it was. I think it was actually a really good time to pick this book up again, and read it at this age. Yeah. But I mean, that was basically why I picked. I mean, I think we I picked it too just to pick a more classic title because we've been doing that, you know, here and there. I mean, last week was a pretty classic title too, so we're kind of going through them, and we're gonna pick uh, what Moby Dick. Eventually, <laughs> maybe eventually. <laughs> eventually, yeah. 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 <laughs> but yeah, that was basically it. I mean, uh, it was partially, mostly a joke, but it didn't end up being a joke. It's a good book. I remember reading That's it right, in book. high school, and I had, yeah, I like if you asked me before I read this again now. So this is the first time any of us have read this since high school, right? Yeah. Yeah. So if you asked me about it a month ago or whatever before I started reading it again. I probably could have told you like one or two things that happened and like a like one character. I think I remember Nick Carraway. I remember the character's mm-hmm. name, but like I didn't. I thought I his didn't... name was Jack Kerouac. Jack... <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a fun twist. I thought it was Jack Reacher. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I didn't remember much about the book, and it it certainly didn't stick with me, which I think speaks to. And maybe we'll talk about this later, but speaks to the kind of like failure of pedagogy 
in the way this book is taught to most kids in high school, which Matt, I think, described accurately earlier. Um, yeah. I, it's weird because I don't, I don't think that's even most, per, like, high school teachers approach. This guy, on paper, it seemed like he, he maybe... It seems like he could have imparted his love of the book onto somebody. He was, like, genuinely fucking amped to talk about The Great Gatsby, and I think that's not true of probably a lot of other just, like, English teachers. Yeah, I that's true. Who just have that's a true. curriculum to get through um, chosen by... I don't I don't even know how it gets chosen. Maybe you do, Gabe. Well, that's a that's a whole other podcast. A, a, a dark, evil board yeah. of just mysterious people. State legislators and, you know. <laughs> yeah. I think um, it might speak a little bit to, um, you know, the, the books that stuck with me the most in high school were, like, Catcher in the Rye, which I still mm-hmm. like, and a separate piece. Classic. But, I mean, I would actually like to read that one on the pod. I haven't we read that one it. since high school. Yeah, sure. But it, it might. Well, I'm just going to call you out publicly, Paul. You're the only one who hasn't filled in all your upcoming picks, so. This is true. Wow. <clears throat> I haven't just done. Saying. Um, Moby Dick. <laughs> Moby Dick's my next one. <laughs> next week we're gonna do Moby Dick. Yeah, next week. Yeah. We'll I'm boosting it up. I'm getting two in a row. Uh, but it, I think it might speak a little bit to just you know the the stories that stuck with me in high school were more. Uh equitable to our age at the time they're high school like coming of yeah. age you know yeah and in a book like the mountain lion i think we should have read in high school too it's way better than any book we read in high school yeah but i mean this i mean the great gatsby deals with people that are kind of our age now i feel like it younger, really, yeah. Yeah, yeah younger than we are now really yeah but i think it's like a better age to read this book possibly. which was at the time like if you do if you adjust for like lifespan and stuff probably they they would be older than us like people back then died younger kind of Gerald certainly died younger well yeah <laughs> so if you adjust for his yeah. lifespan he was like middle-aged yeah yeah well he wrote this book at what like what age anyone know er... Mid- early 30s late 20 like this is what book number three uh yeah i think so because it was um the fucking quit, whatever it this was. Side the quick, it was, <laughs> but this the, side of paradise, yeah. and then or, and then uh, tender is the night, right? Was that before tender. or after this? No, beautiful and the damned. Beautiful and the damned. Yeah, I think te- I think it was. I think it goes in in that order. I think it goes so this side of paradise, beautiful and the damned, Great Gatsby, tender is the night, and then that was it. He was writing another one when he died. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and he died of right. what liver, liver something? He Heart died from drinking. Heart attack? No. He. I think he had it was, a yeah, it was a heart attack. Yeah, but it was alcoholism contributed apparently. Yeah, I'm sure he Fox was comorbid with a bunch of other stuff. <laughs> yeah. So he he had he had achieved fame super young. He was 24 and he wrote what it was this side of paradise, right? Yeah. And that was basically, like, I read that one in college. Um, that one's pretty good, but, like, yeah, it's, like, it's just it's just his kind of life story, thinly veiled. Right. And so he was, like, mega famous and immediately kind of, like, started boozing it up and, like, married somebody. Uh, married Zelda, rather. Not somebody. Wow, uh, dude. Problematic. Holy shit. Whoops. Sorry, everybody. 
Uh, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, the beautiful and the damned was also super popular, and like, kind of like at that point he was established. And then I guess this book was some sort of turning point. I don't know. I got the impression that like he worked really hard on this one, and then uh, I don't know. Like, it went it through a long hit. sort of editing process, right? Yeah, he like wrote he had he wrote something and then scrapped it almost completely. Yeah. Originally. Yes. Yes. That's right. He had started the novel and then kind of got rid of it and almost started over, but kept some of the ideas, I guess. Yeah. And I feel like you can really tell because, like, you know, it's fairly short, uh, and like, you know, one of the things that gets levied against it is that it's like uh, overwritten or somehow overplotted or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, mm. it's it's too it moves too precisely. So, I don't know. I. I these were like this was some reviewers' assessment of other reviewers' reactions to the book that were negative at the time was like, and in the and in like currently like uh, it's just a, it, everything it's like it just moves a little too conveniently and everyone's kind of like, uh you know, a, a, an archetypal or like you know just sort of like a symbolic part Cipher, of the whole like American yeah. tapestry and they all serve their little function and the, and the, it ends too neatly or something, which. I don't know. I don't agree with with that. Or it, it 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 made the book to me like very good as opposed to yeah. I don't. It's a weird. It, that's a weird critique to make of a novel like <laughs> that. It's just yeah. I don't know that the plot's too too tight. Or I don't know. It's yeah. a weird like. I don't know. It's a. It feels <laughs> like a weird critique. Yeah, that's. I know. It's just like it feels like they're saying it's too good. <laughs> yeah. They're <laughs> yeah. like, whoa, this thing hangs together really well. Ugh. It's like, oh god, yeah. I, you know, I really, I, w- I wish there were like thirty pages in there that were totally pointless. Like, I really yeah. wish. That, like, that's like, what it sounds like they're asking so for. Stupid. Yeah, <laughs> I need that human mistake in there, or whatever. Right, right, right. False right. step. Yeah. Um. So uh, maybe we should. I, I guess we maybe should start with like a question that I think is actually kind of complicated, which is what what is this book about? We were just talking about the plot, like. What what is the plot of this book? Uh, you mean not just the beat by beat that we're going to go through? Not the beat by beat, but like yeah, what's the what happens? Big big sort of strokes. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, we definitely shouldn't go plot by plot cuz it's such a famous book, but I mean, basically Nick Spoiler alert. Nick Carraway moves to West Egg, Long Island, mm-hmm. and he's a Midwesterner. And he moves next to Gatsby. Um, and he's like a mysterious dude who has a bunch of like parties. And Caraway's um, poor. Not poor, but not he's well, you know, lower middle class, up you know, middle class, whatever. But Gatsby's I was like actually a little bit confused wealthy. by that. Cause I, I yeah, there's a line in there that says like he, he's kind of poor, but he obviously like hangs with the freaking yacht club people all the time. And he's, he, he's, he's like he, the grandson of someone who's like a who's like was super wealthy. I thought it was more like on a scale. Like he's not as wealthy as some of the people he hangs out right. with, but he's like fine. Yeah, it's relative. Well his off. house, his house is like a quarter of the size of Gatsby's or something, right? Or even smaller, less probably. But he still has but it's like still a probably finish, like four thousand square feet. Servant. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And it's waterfront, and you know, yeah, it, it's just like that weird period where like people are poor, but the, yeah, they still have like hand handmaids and stuff, and yeah. like. Uh, yeah, so he's just sort of relatively poor, right? And he's just like this uh 
he's the sort of narrator. He's the kind of eyeballs on the scene for the whole book, basically. Right. Yeah. You don't you don't ever like leave his perspective. Nope. No. So uh, yeah. And it, there's almost there's moments where it almost where he refers to himself as also the writer of the book. Right. Yeah, where yeah. He, he's like, as I like, there are moments where he's like, as I'm writing this, I'm remembering or, you know, looking back as I write this or whatever. So it's almost like a, which I feel like doesn't get talked about a lot. In, in at least in my kind of like hearing people talk about the book is that Caraway is both the sort of, um, you know, narrator, but also it's, it is suggested at least that he is the author of the text that we're currently reading. And there's no, there's no like discussion of how we got it or you know if it's his like just notes or if he's trying to write a book about Gatsby or what <laughs> we don't really know what this text is I guess well I one I, I recently met a dude who was literally like great oh dude Gatsby that's my favorite book because I had it out uh, and um, drinking in a bar <laughs> like a cringe and Lord, you just I got assume. him in laughter no no this is I won't name names but this is just this is somebody I had to deal with. For t- too long. Oh, uh, a couple, a, okay. A weekend ago, uh, just it fits is. perfectly with this, this motherfucker. Uh, ah, and and his his observation about the book is also super in in like keeping with the you know the whole like douchey dumb persona, faux smart guy. And he was just like, um, yeah, Gatsby. Like, did you ever think about this? Uh, you know, Caraway and uh, Gatsby. They're the same guy. Oh and, God! Uh, oh, what the fuck! And he was just like, "It's Fight Club." He said it was Fight Shut Club. Shut no, up, dude! He didn't say that. <laughs> he literally said that. <laughs> he said, "It's it's the Fight Club plot." Wow. What do you that's, guys think about that? Is that I think, food for thought? Huh? Yeah, I think you on that for a little bit. Whew, that's got to be one of the dumbest takes I've ever heard on any book. Yeah, I wish I heard it in person. <laughs> that's the most ridiculous dude, thing I've ever sad. heard. I yeah, I was just in awe at him saying that to me. Gatsby's like, oh, Fight wow. Club. Yeah, so that, that cool. you know, so Gabe, that's a pretty you interesting observation on, on what you were describing. No one talking, <laughs> no one talking about Caraway as a, you know, as a guy who's who who through his eyes only we're seeing the thing. Jesus. Well, what did you think of Caraway as a character? I mean, I I generally thought him as the most every man every man character I've ever read or. He he like doesn't really have that much of a character. He's kind of just like a he he's there for us to take us on the story, but there's really not much to him. He's just kind of like a nice guy and the people like him around in the social circles and Gatsby ends up liking him, but I didn't think there was much to him, which wasn't really an issue for me, but Yeah, I I think I don't think it, it's to my mind the easier answer is just like Fitzgerald a bit is seems to be writing through through his like whatever he's experiencing at the moment. He tends to like right. tra- transmute that into a novel. Like each novel <coughs> pertains to like can be you know directly lined up to some part of his life or experience. So I mean and I, I mean, mean I think there's a there's a lot of kind of parallels between Fitzgerald and Caraway, right? Like the, the the setting of the book is fictional. The East and West Egg of Long Island are don't, those yeah. don't those don't exist. But Fitzgerald like, for instance, d- did why? live on Long Island, right? At and one he was point born in his in life, Saint Paul, Minnesota, Minnesota. And, and he was in the army. And Caraway was in the army. Yeah, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Why would he change the name? Do you think of the North and South Fork of Long Island? 
I, because I think for him at the this is my just my take. I think for him at the time, and this is kind of you know speculative, I guess. But I think that the, that for him, what he was concerned with at the time were, and we'll we'll talk about this more, I'm sure, when we get more into the plot of the book. But but was the sort of cultural and class divide in America among among the basically middle class to upper middle class and. You know, obviously, you know, we could talk about all the blind spots in the book about like race and like poverty and blah, 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 blah. But I think for him, the geographically, you know, nowadays we think about North and South sort of being like a big kind of cultural, economic, historical divide in this country. And we use terms like the right. global South and the global North to talk about global economic inequality and so on and so forth. Right. I think right, for right. Fitzgerald at the time, it was a divide between the East as in the, you know, which we still have a little bit these days. We hear people use phrases like the, you know, the coastal elite to refer to, say, you know, East Coast and California, basically. Right. But I think Fitzgerald was kind of sort of tapping into that a little bit. He was more interested oh, okay. in in the East Coast sort of elite kind of old money people versus for lack of a better term, the real America, what he, you know, what he, what he calls the uh, the Middle West. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Flyover. I like. Yeah. That's that's okay. That that brings a lot more to it than my was. I was just like he was probably just trying not to. Like, he's probably just barely trying to get away from just saying names and places of people that he knew. I mean, that's all. <laughs> and, that's and, probably part of it too. And just plausible deniability that he's not just absolutely gossiping about you know various people that he knew in real life, but. It's probably both, right? The great, you know, the great gots, Gatsby. What? <laughs> what is that the great joke? Gossipy. What are you? Oh, the great gossipy. Oh, okay, you didn't say that before. <laughs> <laughs> I had milk on my tongue. Ew, you blundered. God, Ew, God, don't talk about the milk anymore. Milk is banned milk from this rest of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what about the milk of human kindness? Stop it. Yeah, you don't like that either, do nope. you? Nope. Milky. Um. The so, so anyway, okay. yeah, that's right. my take on on that. That makes a lot of sense, uh, because that is a theme that is further explored in the novel itself, and, as short right. as it is. Right. You know, that's and that, that's, that's kind of like, yeah. Go ahead. I was just saying that's that's Gatsby's. Uh, that's his chip on his shoulder. You know, basically. Right. So, <laughs> in the novel, the East and the West eggs are basically, you know, the 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 rich. The old money people, the family people, yeah. um, have they live on in, on East Egg, and the new money people, the kind of like you know, um, maybe they get their money from illicit sources. They're they're uh, bootleggers or they're you know whatever new new money. Um, they live on West Egg, and it's sort of a you know it. it it's a stupid term to use with respect to like where rich people live, but it's like viewed as it's like ghettoized, right? It's like viewed as lesser than it's viewed as kind of like, Oh, these people are kind of just, you know, trash basically because they're, yeah, they're, they have money, but it's new money. It's not like whatever. It's not uh, respectable people. Right. And uh, the time frame of the book is, 23 is it also 23 like or is it 25 uh i actually don't let's see um i, I wanted to draw so the it was published between... in 25 right right okay i thought it was like 22 
I was just curious if it was the same as Mrs. Dalloway. I was just like, I, I find I liked having read both of those books back to back because, uh, if not, if they're not supposed to have taken place in the exact same year, they're it, like super close. No, it is. It's it's set in 1922. Amazing. Okay, so like a year before, uh, and it's like the summer going into the fall, right? Yes. So it's so it, the whole book I, takes place over the course of like a few months in the summer of 1922. Right. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what. Uh, you know h- how much. You know, I'm gonna fully be able to extract from that, but I just I, it felt pertinent. Like it felt very much like we read a British book dealing with this basic time frame and the sort of cultural you know, concerns of, of, of that region. And now this is like the American version of that, which that, is obviously I mean, very yeah, different. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's, it, it's obviously it's very different, like, like you said, but it's concerned with a lot of similar stuff, kind of like, you know, national identity and kind of like the spirit of the country and, and kind of, you know, kind of changes between pre and post-war culture and all that stuff. Um, and just us having partied in the interim between wars, whereas, you know, England is, uh, like shaky and, and shell shocked and fucking traumatized and, and just trying to like, you know, whatever. Right. What is it? Carry on. Stiff upper lip chap. Right. Which makes sense though, too, just historically, because they were a lot, you know, England was a lot closer to the actual yeah yes. war, yes. like geographically, um, yeah, they like were, were they bombed? It. Was was like London bombed in World War One or World War Two or both? I think both. I don't know. I don't know. I'm. I, I think the real. Shit. I think the real deal started happening in World War Two. That's like the real yeah. gutting of London. But they were. I think they were also bombed in World War One. Any uh, World War One podcasts out there? Feel free to reach out. Oh, too out. many, too many, <laughs> too <laughs> many hist- history podcasts. No, no, I don't want. I don't want a generic history nerd. I want a specific World War One podcast. Yeah, I want. Someone I would to love down if, like with... uh, like sixty-five-year-old dads that just love World War One, like five of them just talking about that <laughs> on a podcast. That'd be awesome. I know. Uh, it could go either way. Imagine it could be really submarines. cool. But then they could also just be like, in Bill O'Reilly's uh, book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's true. They're just citing the most like <laughs> stupid sources. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, so, um, I yeah. think my question, I have a question about, um, uh, it's not going to be a good question, I don't think, but the, uh, you know, Towards the, like almost the very end, it's blatantly revealed, even though you already knew that like basically all the main characters are originally from the Midwest, so they're all yes. none of the none of the main characters I don't think are from you know New England, New York area. Um, no, it's all uh, Louisville or not not Louisville, uh, St. Louis, right? No, no Louisville. So Jordan, Louisville. Yeah, Jordan Baker and Daisy, Tom? who is uh, get uh. Carraway's cousin are from Louisville. Tom is from Chicago and Gatsby is from Minnesota on like on the, on uh, some small town on the shore of the great list. So spoiler alert, Gatsby's whole persona is fake. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then Carraway is is from, do we ever know, do we get a a definite like city or something where Carraway is from? I thought it was St. Paul. Okay. 
just like Fitzgerald. Because he talks about at the very end of the book, going back on a train... Um, when he decides to leave New York and move away from New York, he just he talks about going through Wisconsin. Um, yeah. But I don't remember Milwaukee. if there's a definite, like, where he's actually from. Minnesota, yeah. Min- yeah just uh, Minnesota, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so But I guess again, my question yeah, just is just, like, what Fitzgerald. is Fitzgerald, like, trying to uh, say by having all the characters from the Midwest? Like... You know, I think I like totally what Gabe sure. was saying before, like it's um, it's these people from this part of America now newly encroaching on like sort of the false promises that have already like sort of sown what they reaped <laughs> or whatever. No, reap what they sowed before with the war and everything, uh, you know, like starting to also take on the same quote unquote values and, and, and be infected with and the vices. Right, the same American dream, which sort of encapsulates all of that and has turned sour. Uh, Gatsby being like the basically the ultimate personification of it. And, and I think it's an interesting question, Paul, because one of the things that I was seeing when I was just you know, I, you know, cursorily reading some of the like you know academic literature, theoretical you know, you know uh, criticism about the book, literary criticism, is that you know Gatsby is this character who never really fits in, right? Because he comes from these humble background and everyone around him, you know, um, the most sort of obvious person being Tom Buchanan, who's Daisy's husband, um, kind of like sniffs out on him, right? They're kind of like, ah, you're not really like of us. Like you're here, you have money, but you're not, you're not a real kind of member of this social order. (laughs) But all of them are not, are, are, are Midwesterners, yeah. basically. And I, I, I never really thought about that. I think that's a really interesting point because no one that we meet in the book, aside from maybe um, Wolfsheim, who is Gatsby's kind of corrupt, uh, uh, you know, Jewish, obviously there's problems there um, in terms of yeah. the characterization, but who's his sort of corrupt, you know, old school New York Jewish, you know, associate. Um no one else that we meet in the book is actually from New York or even the East Coast. Uh, I don't know. I don't really know. Maybe this is just a sort of historical question. I don't know if a place like Louisville or some of those rich, sort of like mid-Atlantic cities um, like counted as the Northeast back then. Like, I don't know if, if Fitzgerald would have made that, drawn that line that way in his mind. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, I don't yeah. think he. I don't think he did. So I just don't know. I'm not sure. But none of them are from what we would think of now as the East Coast, like New England or anything like that. Yeah, that is that is interesting. I didn't really think about that. Yeah, no one's just a straight up, like wasp or just you know, n- no New England or a Brahmin or anything like that. They're not all, at all. Yeah, from the middle. Yeah, and one of the, like you know, because Gatsby is like uh, unable to be assimilated. Um, it's made to be such like a huge point and theme of the, of the book. But, you know, by the end of it, I was like, well, did any of them really assimilate? Like, um, Mm -hmm. Nick goes back to the Midwest. Daisy and Tom are just like, you have to assume they're relatively miserable. Um, definitely deep down. Um, and I forget what happens to Jordan. 
think, I think Jordan just she's she tells Nick at the end that she's getting married to someone, but that she's pissed that he kind of spurned yeah. her. Yeah. But Which, yeah, I just found it know. interesting that like you know, you know, there isn't any character that's like a a vessel for the East, so to speak. It's more about like these characters' fights with their environment, and I think it's actually kind of interesting that we don't get like a direct person that, um, you know, acts 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 as some sort of like vessel for the environment. It's just it's just the environment that they're battling with. Does that make the sense? The environment in, like, well, in terms like, of just like, like where they are. From? Yeah. Yeah, it's it, yeah. I mean, I think it's they're all they're all in a way not of that space, like like you know originally, like where they're from. Yeah. Right, and I. I guess maybe the, the what is also drawn is like the more important difference just between money, you know, having money to begin with versus scraping it together and becoming, you know, nouveau riche, just that difference upon your brain. Right. I mean, like you said, I'm sure there's a lot of, like, America looked a lot different, especially the Midwest was a lot, I would assume, sparser and a little more rural than now. And yeah. places like Minnesota weren't popping. And Fitzgerald writes about it like that. Like, he talks about it as the land of, like, big green lawns and... Da, 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 I don't have the passage, but yeah, and just him just languishing and just sort of like, you know, anxiously, um, like teaching himself a new word every day and like you right. know eating right, yeah, and and um, hooking up with a an aging uh, kind of gold rush multimillionaire and kind of like clawing his way up. I mean, one of the things that's interesting, so so Gatsby's kind of origin story when you finally figure out what it is, is that he was this poor kid, like, from Minnesota who saw this yacht dock on Lake Superior? Yeah, I think Probably. so. Um, yeah. One of the Great Lakes. And, you know, he's out there harvesting clams or whatever. And he, he like, ultimately connects with the guy that owns the yacht, who's this rich, you know, guy who made millions and millions of dollars on the gold rush and various kind of, like, precious metals um in montana and and the the far west and uh i think like one of the things that's interesting is that gatsby is presented in this book as a sort of like fraud because of that right but like right today i feel like that's much more idolized than having just old money and like your parents were rich and whatever now it's all about being scrappy and making connections and so in a way it feels like the character of Gatsby kind of prefigures our modern ideals of wealth if that makes sense well we've just we've re like I, I don't know but we just maybe just re-emphasize the whole like fucking we've always loved entrepreneurs and stuff but it's always been a, a you know and they're great but it's always been like a way to actually just couch this like really horrific you know the grind set like right you know yeah exactly exactly gatsby was grinding dude gatsby was waking up and he was making monday his bitch like that was basically (laughs) gary vinerchuk style like you know ideas way before that was the thing you could just sort of see on tiktok or something right but yeah he he, He was definitely waking up and and reading like marcus aurelius (laughs) probably is gatsby ty lopez 
Yo. I don't know about this whole Gatsby's fucking Fight Club bullshit, but Gatsby might be Ty Lopez. He might be Ty Lopez, and that's what I'll stand behind something like that. <laughs> so yeah, you're right. I think it's true that he he's actually like probably more laudable. His actions were, or are now, to some people's minds in the 21st century, which I, I would say is probably just uh, means things aren't great now. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Right. I mean, because you even you even get these insights into Gatsby as a child later on in the book where, like, you know, I, I, someone mentioned this, I think, already, but he's waking up in the morning, he has a to-do list for the day. He's like, I'm going to read one, I'm going to read, you know, three self-improvement books every month. I'm going to, yeah. like, et cetera, Horrific. et cetera. It's, like, very, but it is. It's, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's crazy because it's, like, a future-oriented satire of what we are doing now. Which is this like rise and grind, self improvement, fucking read the you know read these books and da 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 mindset. And I mean, I thought it was brilliant. Well, I think the same promises have just been dangled for forever, you know, and that's prob and that's what makes this book something that like struck me as yeah very salient now and really good. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's a good satire in the sense that like it just it really calls out the very specific ways that you know th- the same shit has been sort of dangled like a carrot in front of people's noses forever and, and turned them monstrous. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing is, you know, Gatsby he befriends this like aging precious metals baron, and but he doesn't actually get any of his money. He's cheated out of yeah. it, but not che- uh, whatever. I don't. I'm not a lawyer, but. This guy, this what what is implied to be the trophy wife of this guy, um, what's his name? Cody. I forget. I think it's, I think it's Cody. Something Cody. Um, you know, takes all the money, including what was left to Gatsby by this guy, who he becomes essentially his assistant or whatever, his confidant. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, then Gatsby has to kind of rebuild, and we don't know we don't know like the nitty gritty details of how he does that, but it's implied that he's involved in bootlegging and uh potentially like gambling schemes um it's mentioned at one point that the his his associate his jewish associate in new york wolfsheim had like fixed uh the world series one year right yeah the, the, the 1919 right chicago yeah. was that black that was the black Sox scandal i think it was the white were they called the black Sox? Well, no they were called the white, white Sox, but it was the black Sox because it was like oh you're oh you know what i mean black bad yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <Yes. laughs> and I, th- I mean, and that, that was one of those blows to the, the American uh, cultural confidence. Yes. That, that whole scandal, which, you know, I think it's important he ties it into some real life, just like, you know, oh, shit, this is fabricated. This can be manipulated. And also Cody or whatever his name was, the kind of like money bags old guy with the trophy wife. I mean... In a, in a couple ways, he just mirrors the trajectory that Gatsby is also going to take, which is that, like, you know, he came into a bunch of money. He he a little more Dan Cody. industriously and less illegally than Gatsby, but, like, he still seemed to be living in this, like, pleasure yacht, just sort of surrounded by people who are also, were also just kind of, like, enjoying the fruits of his cash right and just like chilling on the yacht and like slowly strip mining him of all (laughs) of all his value and then eventually he dies and the the wife just takes the rest 
and he didn't seem happy either. But Gras- Gatsby was like, "Holy shit, this is like Noah's Ark, and I'm being taken to, you know." And that's who I want to be. That's who I want to become. Yeah. Yeah. And he has when at one point when Nick is going through his house, walking around, he sees it. That's like one of the only pictures that Gatsby has. Not not his parents, not not anyone he's related to, but but Dan Cody. Right. His like the dad he chose, you know, blah, blah, blah. His mentor, his business mentor. And I think one of the things that makes Gatsby an interesting character is that, I mean, he's overall a very charismatic, interesting guy. But I think one of my favorite aspects about him is that, you know, he wants all these things. He wants to live like a lavish lifestyle. But in the moment, day to day, he doesn't really drink. I don't think he drinks at all, really. Right. Yeah, it's implied. But he, he doesn't, doesn't like drink at all. he throws these parties, but he doesn't really participate in them to a big way. Everything is just like an ornament to him. It's it's all about a facade. Um and he's constructed this life around himself that he doesn't seem to necessarily even want or enjoy. It's more just like he feels like he should be doing this with himself. And I feel like one of the things that Fitzgerald does a really good job at in the book is describing Gatsby's kind of like nervous energy. Like he's constantly sort of like, you know, thinking about what his next move should be down to like posture, right? Like where do, where do I lean? Where do I look? What's my head angle? Like all of this stuff. And it's so, I mean, again, I just keep going back to the fact that like people write books about that shit nowadays. Like people write books about like, what's your, what should your posture be in a business meeting? Like how do you assert yourself as a fucking alpha Dom, like business (laughs) daddy, And like, what's your head, where should your chin be and all that shit. And Fitzgerald does such a good job of like breaking that down. And it's funny (laughs) and it's sad when you know about Gatsby's sort of history, but it's also like, again, shit that we sort of like laud today and idolize. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of that scene in Always Sunny when Mac puts his neck up. And Charlie's like, (laughs) his neck's high. I trust him. Yeah. (laughs) It's that. Exactly. Like yeah. high. <laughs> and I, I, mean, I remember what... watching these YouTube videos of like how you can like hold your tongue a certain way to like morph your face over the course of 10 years if you start <laughs> when you're 12 or something <laughs> like that, <laughs> which was incredibly fascinating to watch. And just like it made me so sad. I was like, oh, all these people just want like their face to be different and they're going to hold their tongue a certain way. Yes, yeah, he would do that. Yes, he would. Gatsby would be the guy who would hold his tongue away that maybe would give him like a more like uh, you know prominent jawline or something for the Gatsby for 10 would, years. Gatsby would have Jordan Peterson's book next to his bedside. That's 100% at all times. correct, dude. He would. <laughs> his shoulders would be back. He would be standing up so straight. He would pet dogs. <laughs> and it's and it, and it's funny cuz it's it's all in the like service of you know ultimately the pursuit of Daisy as um, basically at this point, at the point that he finally reconnects a yes. f- completely fictional character in his head. And basically he's just trying to like rekindle a, a what an adolescent almost uh, crush. Yeah. So yeah, let's of, like, you guys of, like, talk about month, this. Maybe? So yeah, you right. Know, so, so the, one of the only things that I think is true about Gatsby's personality is that he was in the war that's yeah. that's mm-hmm. real, right? 
And um, he went to Oxford, apparently. He spent some time there, like, yeah. He spent, like, a night there. Yeah, like, three months <laughs> yeah. or some shit. And so, before he goes off to war, he meets... I forget why he was in Louisville. That was where his base was or whatever before deployment. But he meets Daisy uh, at the time... You know, now Daisy Buchanan, who's married to, to Tom and is Nick Carraway's cousin. Um, and they fall in love, basically. And it's, yeah, it's kind of like a... You know, a fling, right? But but it's but they. I think that they both feel that it's more than that. It's implied, like they both kind of. It's yeah. a flame, right? It's something that they 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 still kind of think about years later. But Gatsby, you know, Daisy goes on to get married to Tom Buchanan, who we can talk about as a character who I think is a really interesting character. Um, yeah. Yeah. But uh, Gatsby essentially like builds the entire rest of his life around trying to. <laughs> impress her and get her back and find her and 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 in fact it's implied or i think it's directly stated i think um i think jordan says this and jordan is kind of this third party who daisy knows who's a sort of semi-pro or pro golf player um yeah and uh she's kind of dating nick for a while yeah she's like sort of dating nick it's kind of nick's love interest but um that gatsby bought the house that he bought specifically so he could stare across the the sound or the bay yeah. at Daisy's house, which was reminiscent for me of uh, Killing Commendatore, right? Oh well, I mean that book is supposed to kind of be a not a retelling, well, yeah. but it's related to the Gat. Right, that's I remember you guys I think we talk talking about, about that in our episode, which you should all go listen to. It's three hours. You should, and I didn't. <laughs> that went over my head because I hadn't read the Great Gatsby in so long. So, but now I understand it. Well, I mean, it still <laughs> seems yeah, it's a thin. I mean, that's the that's the connection. No, that's not yeah. true. That's not true. That's not true. What do you mean? Well, in that in that book, and we don't have to go back into it, but in that book, there's okay. a sort of mysterious rich guy who no one knows how they get his money, and there's kind of a, an everyman narrator who okay, befriends right, right. him, yeah. and da 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 da. Okay, I see. Yeah, there's there's definitely more parallels there. Yeah, even though I think the main character in Commendatore has more of a plot of his own obviously yeah definitely a big big difference that book's like eight also 800 longer. pages yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <It's> so long <laughs> but yeah what, what, what were we what were, were we, we driving at there i'm so we derailed it well we were t- we were starting yeah. to we were starting to talk about um daisy as a character and how right. gatsby and daisy's relationship started and um kind of how that was kind of the the you know founding kind of moment of the whole text, right? It's Daisy and Gatsby meeting when they were younger. Gatsby goes off to war, but still harbors a flame for Daisy and vice versa. I think we're supposed to infer. I mean, when she says, yeah, for sure. she says a few times, well, um, she's supposed to, she had a breakdown on, on the, her wedding night with Tom. Yes. Right. Like, cause right. he was like, wait for me. Like I'm coming back. Like he was like, I'm going to the war, but I'm coming back for you. And he manages to send some letter off to her. He finds out that she's like about to be wed to Tom, who I think he had seen maybe at some point. Before. Like I don't it was think like so. the next well, guy that went out with her. <laughs> yeah. After after Gatsby. Um, either way, yeah. So he sends some letter. Like I don't. I forget what it says. I don't know if you get the. I think we actually don't know what it says because she the the, the scene and I think Jordan. This is Jordan talking to Nick. Is you know she's drunk. <laughs> On, on and crying, on crying. Yeah. I don't think it's her actual wedding night. I think it's the night before or something. Um, and uh, she has this letter, 
and she she she's so drunk she won't let go of it and she goes into the tub and and it just soaks and and melts away and we never know what the contents are but we assume it's from Gatsby. Right. I'm pretty sure it said, I love you, I'm Gatsby, I love you, I'm Gatsby, I love you, I'm Gatsby. A hundred times. Great letter. I would love to receive that. Yeah. Straight to the point in a powerful way, I like. Yeah, and, and Daisy proceeds to do what she's become very capable of doing by the time, you know, we see her in the, like, contemporary point of the book, which is, like, just press those feelings down. And yes. Just, you know, just enjoy more, like, the... The familiarity of you know her world than like any genuine form of expression whatsoever. Yeah, Daisy is is kind of the you know uh, it, it's interesting because she's kind of this, and I think this speaks to the moment the book was written, where it was this kind of crossroads between post-war and pre-war, and you know Daisy is kind of this fusion of the sort of like you know, flapper, like free kind of woman, but also a total wasp, total repress all emotions. Like we cannot talk about this shit. Like, like put it away. You know what I mean? And I, 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 which is another connection to Mrs. Dalloway because a lot of the characters in that book have a similar attitude. And Daisy has a similar draw about her, you know, like a similar, um, lightness and ability you know that i think most people kind of admire and feel safe made safe by which is that the ability to like sort of disperse all negativity you know with their just sort of reality warping presence (laughs) and everyone's like i love that yes (laughs) you know but you know there's a price to pay for that and uh she's also married to tom who uh she'd rather stick with and tom's like a disturbing figure. The worst. Ways. Yeah. Yeah. Tom would and, also uh, love cool. Jordan Peterson, but for different reasons. He would mostly love Jordan Peterson for the racism and phrenology. No, Tom. Tom would like like mm-hmm. no. D- d- Tom t- Jordan Peterson's too light on that shit. Tom would like like Charles Murray or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom would go full you bell know. curve. Yes, a hundred percent. IQ question. <laughs> shit. Yeah, like that. That's Tom. He's yeah, he'd eugenicist. be reading that book I mean, Tom like, is while he's while he's like throwing a lacrosse ball with his best friend or something. Just a big, yeah, because he's an ex athlete who's like panicking. He's an ex football player, right? Yeah, he's kind of going to see it and he's getting a little fat and he's starting to like get bored because he's not competing anymore. And uh, yeah, so he's like trying to be an intellectual now, right? And he so he immediately latches onto like eugenics as like uh, and and as like the biggest like threat to society is like not uh, keeping the genetic hygiene going <laughs> right well which is a, you know he's prefacing the the nazis he's supposed to be i think yes i think that well not that fitzgerald would have known about that even writing the book but oh this you know what actually fuck this is something that my the fucking teacher in high school drilled into my head right fuck and i'm i'm just repeating it god damn yeah. it <laughs> well it's funny because there are a lot of like weird like reading it today, there are a lot of weird things. I'm like, oh, that's a World War II reference, or that's a fucking Nazi reference, and it's not not because it couldn't be because it was written 23, 24 years before World War II even started. Uh, and like like for example, there's a mention of like on on Meyer Wolfsheim's kind of place of business, 
It's like named like the Swastika Institute or something. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what like, the fuck was that? <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, okay, that's a World War II thing, but it couldn't be, and it's not. Um, well, that's just impressive then. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess when did the National so or the what is it the National Socialists like when did they when did they sort of start to come up before before the you know Hitler himself was not like, not then I mean I guess. The 30s, right? The party existed technically. I just looked it up. The party existed technically in the 20s. Uh, I don't know if the swastika was their logo from the beginning. I just don't know enough about this shit. Um, but they didn't come into power until uh, 33. Interesting. Yeah, so I don't know what information Fitzgerald was getting, but he was getting well, I think it thoroughly just... leaked information. <laughs> or it just points to, like how people like that were across society and across cultures already that right. that sort of way of thinking was manifesting and it's not like it went away either it's still here 100 years later yeah well so like anti-semitism was... is old but like the the yeah specifically the swastikas like that just hit me and that that, that, yeah, that just was really weird. like jumped out i mean for obvious reasons but i i i you know i'm sure there's some academic papers written about this but i'm just genuinely curious about why that was something that Fitzgerald knew about or, and was in mm -hmm. his mind and like what was the what was the sort of socio-cultural signification of the swastika in 1925 yeah maybe he was in a secret maybe he was in the freemasons and they, just, <laughs> <laughs> they just knew things who knows I, I would i mean that's i that maybe i don't know i actually read i i listened to about half of this book on audiobook and Jake Gyllenhaal was reading it, which was really lovely. Oh, that sounds sick awesome. actually. He's got a great voice. It was great. Jake and was I listened to, to the at the point when uh he said swastika, I was reading it or I was listening to it and it was it was jarring to hear Jake Gyllenhaal say swastika out of nowhere. Yeah. You didn't like that? No. That Jake says that. But word. I mean he does have a great voice, so I got over it. Go we should we should uh, we should start a Twitter campaign to rename him Jake Swastika Gyllenhaal. <laughs> <laughs> That'll go over very well. We hey, Jake Gyllenhaal, if you're listening, come on the pod. Yeah, that would be amazing. That we'll read be. your favorite book, and you but you have to rebrand. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I just think as a document of, I mean, it's it, it's so fascinating. All of that kind of stuff about the academic stuff about how this prefigures world war ii or how it's related to the nazis and whatnot and and i mean I, you could even go as as you could even talk about the portrayal of the jewish characters which is right not great <laughs> no they're no. <laughs> you know it's they're they're it's classic it's classic kind of hook-nosed swindlers you know what i mean mm -hmm. um so I think that aspect of, of reading this book was really interesting because I had to keep constantly reminding myself this book was written 20 years before World War II, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I, yeah. I, I, hmm. So, yeah, I, I'm not sure how how much was just in the air that um, maybe Fitzgerald was capable of picking up on just because he was now in the rarefied world of the super wealthy himself well and and potentially because he was in europe for the first world war and who knows what he heard or saw or heard people say over there true, you true. know what i mean yeah was he did he did he come so he was back in the states by the time he was writing 
Yeah. Gatsby? Yeah, World War One was over in like 19, uh, 1919 or something, I think. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, like, I, we were originally talking about Daisy. I think Daisy was more of, like, a debutante, wasn't she? She was, like, she was Cl- not the, super in the classic waspy, where She was yeah. Southern Belle. Southern kinda, Belle, you um, know, a cotillion being courted. type shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we get all of that information about, like, the adolescent past of Gatsby and stuff through, what is it, like, he recounts it to Nick at some point, right? He, he does, but we don't actually, I don't think we actually see the scene where he tells Nick this stuff. Nick just kind of reports to us, he told me this later, you know, at some point. Or like, you know, uh, there, like there, there, there's a scene at the beginning where Nick is in the car with Gatsby when Gatsby's sort of asking him, you know, prepping him to be asked to invite him and Daisy to tea to kind of reunite them. But when he actually tells him his true kind of past, I feel like the actual moment that that happens is is a little bit vague, although I I could just be misremembering. And it's always when they're in New York City, right? Like, everyone's confessionals and, like, shifts in behavior happen when they go down out of Long Island and into, like, the metropolis. That's where, like, that's where, like, the real, like, gritty truth of these people's you know, repressed desires and, like, what they do to make money and stuff is actually, you know, that's what's being done there. And, and then they all go back to the eggs to, like, play act and Put LARP. it back down. Yeah, yeah. Well, and importantly, whenever they go to the city, um, and this is, maybe, you know, opening a can of worms, I suppose, but they, they drive past the billboard of Mr. Right. Mr. T.J. Eckelberg, which is sort <laughs> yeah. of one of the most... You know, arguably one of the most famous symbolic figures in all of American literature, I would I would argue. Um, it's this billboard of a it's this fading billboard of an optometrist. I mean, if you live in New York City or if you've ever been in New York City, you know, on the subways, they have all these ads for doctors and plastic surgeons and whatever. It's sort of a Dr. Zizmore. Yeah, Dr. Zizmore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, it's sort of a, you know, early version of that where it's a billboard of this optometrist um, but it's faded and it's overlooking this, you know, particularly desolate stretch of, you know, land between Long Island and New York City. Uh, and they have to pass it every time they go into the city. So I think that's really interesting, Matt, that that's kind of a, you know, sort of a, a, a barrier between like, OK, now here's all the like horrible kind of the, like the horrible truths of our lives come out once we pass this sort of line. And then once we go back to the other side, we kind of shut it down again yeah i and and, i mean it's almost heavy-handed that's one thing you know where the symbolism there is like pretty much just like you're being bludgeoned with it right yeah you've got these uh you know you know never closing eyes gazing at you as you pass through what's kind of described you know i I, i've been to long island (laughs) like you know i mean like i know some of the regions that they're talking about in the book even uh, if they're called by something else. And I'm just so curious if it were was like that, because they kind of describe it as just like this big stretch of, like, ash. Yeah, and, it's well, he literally garbage. calls it, like, the ash wastes or something in the book. like the Yeah, like, I just wonder if at some point, it, uh, yeah, once again, it, you know, there was some, like, long stretch of, of Long Island that was just, uh, <laughs> yeah, this weird, like, purgatorial fucking Dark Souls, <laughs> Lord of Cinder, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kind of, like, stretch. 
Well, and of course, like the sounds awesome. The other the it other um, location that's associated with the billboard is Wilson's garage, right? Yes, and that's kind of the the hinge where all of the kind of worst impulses and sins and everything of all the characters in the book really kind of circles around not all the characters but but tom and and daisy and gatsby really because almost all of them almost all of them because you know at the beginning of the book we hear that tom has a mistress essentially and it turns out that she's the wife of his car mechanic basically yeah yeah. um mr wilson and uh, what's her name i forget Someone find it. I feel so bad. I feel like I'm not doing my job. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, Myrtle. Myrtle Wilson. Um, And uh, so, you know, they have this kind of relationship and they go meet up in the city and Nick winds up at one of their parties early on in the book. And at the end of the book, um, spoilers, uh, (laughs) Daisy, (laughs) Daisy driving Gatsby's car back from a party where she fights with Tom and sort of confesses that she loves Gatsby now. Um, and she wants to be with Gatsby that, that we could talk kind of, we can talk about that later too, because that's a whole nother fucking can of worms, but she, she hits her. She hits Myrtle Wilson with the car and kills her and keeps going. Um, and then of course Gatsby is, is blamed for it. Um, and ultimately killed by Mr. Wilson, Tom crazy Mm -hmm. Wilson. Tom Wilson? I don't think it's also Tom. It's not. Wait. It's, oh no. Yeah. Too many Toms. Yeah. Bob. <laughs> I don't. I don't remember Mr. Wilson's name. But um. But so, isn't but it so like before that. Oh, go ahead. I was just. I was just gonna like connect it back to the first thought, which is that that this garage and this billboard are this kind of hinge, this like moral hinge, where on one side, as Matt was saying earlier, you kind of confess your truths and you can be kind of your authentic shitty self and on the other side you have to repress all that and it's this point where all of these critical moral decisions are made whether it's tom having the affair um or uh uh you know daisy hitting myrtle and and not stopping uh and what follows from that and also uh george george thank you yeah wasn't didn't he have myrtle like in a cage isn't he locked up in her room? Uh, okay. Yeah, at but the he, end, I mean, he, it was kind of insinuated that he was like he suspects she's having an affair, but he doesn't know with, who with. Okay, yeah. and he's like, "We're gonna move. We're leaving." And he basically, yeah, he basically locks her in a room. Right. I thought that it was like a lot more devious than that. Like he was beating her too. Or did I not read that correctly? I, I thought mean, it just came out that he was kind of like a pretty insane guy. No, I think he's, I mean, he's not supposed to be, like, un, he, he's not supposed to just be, like, completely unsympathetic, but, uh, or sympathetic, but he, he's not insane, he's just fucking finally, like, he's just th- this poor, like, monetarily poor guy who is kind of also turning a blind eye to the pretty obvious fact that Tom Buchanan is just swooping in and, like, just taking Myrtle down to, like, a separate apartment that he bought for her and just fucking her there. And then Good just bringing God. her back and being like, can you also fix my car? <laughs> and yeah. I think George, I think George is just the worm who turns, you know? He just finally, like, uh, 
he snaps. He snaps, and it's not uh, something that uh, you know is not understandable or unreasonable. It's like this dude's life sucks. He lives in the land of ash. He just is a <laughs> car mechanic, and just these rich fucking people come. He's just covered and they in just cut ash and soot. He's just is he's dusty. I literally thought of him as b- dusty, and he's just filling your yeah. gas up <laughs> like a chimney sweep. Just, <laughs> yeah, and then you just go and you just cock him in the city. And uh, you know he was trying his his uh, his level best to not um, like everyone else in the book, like not face the fundamental reality of his situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, and and it is the moral hinge point because you know he ends up killing Gadsby, but he ends up killing Gadsby because Gadsby ultimately still like takes on the sin and you know the rap that is actually Daisy's. Right, yeah. You know he yeah. gets confused. Tom or George gets confused because he doesn't he doesn't know who the fuck is like the person who's been hurting him this whole time. And the whole point is that like Tom and Daisy, uh, are kind of the people that have caused both things to occur. Tom, mm-hmm. Tom cucking George with his wife, and then Daisy killing her. And both of these people get off scotch free, and it's like. Uh, you know, they, they, they just kind of literally are like, let no longer speak of it. And, uh, you know, that's how they've been conducting themselves the whole time, really. You know, which like is, even, I even, almost, mm. I was going to say, I almost feel like the moment that, um, you know, Daisy and Tom slide back into their lives and they are off scot free, that to me felt like their indoctrination into the East. Like they had to go through mm. something like that and get off. And now they're finally there, and baptized in blood. Yeah, I mean that's a. I think that's a really interesting point, Paul. Because, like, yeah, it's you know when we think about the sort of like uber wealthy, you know, at least to me, one of the one of the first things that I think about is like you know basically like impunity from yeah like consequences or law or whatever, Um, and that's sort of what happens to you know, Daisy and Tom, as they, they essentially get away with this, both the affair, as Matt was saying, and the, the, the hit and run. Um, and yeah, then like George is kind of just at... left to deal with the consequences as a sort of, you know, cipher for, you know, the rest of America that's not part of these social classes. Yeah. It, it is like if you can get to a point where you can have a level of impunity then you are indoctrinated into that aspect of society. Once you once you can have the ability to have skeletons in your closet, it's fucked. And then I think the 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 you know where it comes back and sort of makes sense. I think that's a really good interpretation because who gets the consequences ultimately? It's Gatsby, because George yeah. is convinced based on some some eyewitness testimony and also implicitly. Tom. The suggestion of Tom <laughs> yeah. that hey that car I know who owns that car it's Gatsby and um, of course George ultimately you know sort of snaps and kills Gatsby and then himself and so I, I think uh, on your interpretation Paul it makes a lot of sense because you know if if the view is that Gatsby was never really of this world he was never really kind of part of this social class then it makes sense that he would be the one to kind of 
shoulder all the consequences. Not all of them, of course, George, right? But um, shoulder some of the consequences from this action, these actions. Because Gatsby's Gatsby's not capable of of doing what George and or uh, what Tom and Daisy do, and neither is Nick. Uh, I, I don't know if it's an actual line attributed to to Fitzgerald, but it's just the phrase "the rich are different." Uh, just the you know, the the reality warping effect of cash to create impunity, but also you know the difference between the nouveau riche, right, and like old money, or people that have been living this way for generations, being that it's an expectation and that it's something they can sit. Them with themselves and just sort of exist and not just be have fine any with. qualms and just be fine, and, you know, like oh I've got skeletons in your closet and like the point is with this with people like that generational wealth, it's like look at all the cool skeletons I have. You it's know like, I mean? uh, like yeah, <laughs> it's like I don't know. Do you guys watch Succession? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like it's very like Succession, right? Where it's like where uh, the uh, the guy kill uh, Kendall kills that Kendall, he, it's it's the same thing right he runs someone over with a car yeah right he run yeah. he he he's high on coke and drunk and he runs someone over with a car like a like a you know a hired waiter or something from a party and he runs him over with a car and nothing happens basically right mm -hmm. and the question is are you so rich that uh you end up just being like thank ooh, ooh, thank god and then you're just chill and you can go like have another party or does it fester with you like a good human being should feel you know right. like and th and that's that's ultimately what separates gadsby from the buchanans because gadsby can never hide the fact that he's tr he's just trying to like kiss his sweetheart on the lips and which is so yeah, sentimental. Kiss her on the lips. <laughs> right it's right. just so sentimental he's such and, a like, sad earnest. boy yeah and it's like he doesn't get that they're like just just circulating in a, in a whole other world well and i and i think this is part of fitzgerald's kind of argument with the book or part of his point is that you know and it's and it's it's a subtle one and it's tricky because in the book Gatsby and even Nick the narrator even Nick says by the end he basically can't stand him you know he's sort yeah. of just like I was I hated everything he, he stood for and da, da 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 but like because he's presented as this character who's made a false life and he's hiding all of the truth about himself when in reality you know, all of the rest of these people are doing at least that, if not worse. And I think it's sort of this, this kind of sleight of hand that Fitzgerald does where he presents Gatsby as this fundamentally false, fundamentally kind of, you know, um, delusional figure when everyone else in the book is arguably much worse. Yeah. What about, yeah, Nick? I mean, and not Nick, not of, Nick. Nick is, yeah, Nick's a different story. Yeah. But, I mean, I think that uh, Gatsby kind of comes across as sympathetic to me. I don't know how, I mean, he definitely has, like, character flaws, and he loves, you know, the Jordan Peterson-type books. But, you know, he, he is just, like, out to fall in love again with the girl he loves. Um, He's... Yeah. He's sympathetic in a sort of like, I don't know, classically romantic kind of way where, I mean, like, what I'll say about Gatsby for me is that like, okay, yeah, we've all had that kind of feeling probably, right? Where there was like someone who you had a connection with and you were separated and you thought about them for a long time and da 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 da. But right. he takes it to a very dark place. 
like past the point yeah. of like where it's understandable and or reasonable to me. Yeah, and there's a there's a 100%. passage earlier on. Uh, I for, I wish I underlined it, but it, it came out that like after he saw Daisy after all these years, I think it was at with Nick at the, like that first meeting. Um, at at Nick's house. The the fantasy was kind of like not shattered, but he had such like a built up idea of how it was going to go and what it was going to be like. And I think that also points to just how Gatsby manufactures almost everything in his life. You know, he manufactures the way he smiles and tells his head and whatever, but he also manufactured this love story too. Even though I, mean, I think, you know, they were in love and they did have a connection, but it, it did seem like that was part of his whole, his whole deal was just manufacture everything about, about his life. Yeah. I actually, um, Actually, I don't know if this is the exact passage that you were thinking about, Paul, but I did underline some of that that description from Nick, where he's talking about, um, you know, after they meet up at Nick's house, they go back to Gatsby's house, and uh, I feel like this is... So one of the other major kind of, like, symbols in the book of Gatsby's kind of dreams and sort of our... The general human kind of sense to idolize the past and make these kind of false narrative dreams for ourselves is the the green light on Daisy's dock that Gatsby stares at at night out on his his veranda or whatever. Right. Um, and so th- there's this passage on, on page, it's on my, my page 93. Um, Daisy put her arm through his abruptly, but he seemed absorbed in what he had just said. Possibly it had occurred to him that the colossal significance of the light had now vanished forever. Compared to the great distance that had separated him from Daisy, it had seemed very near to her, almost touching her. It had seemed as close as a star to the moon. Now it was again a green light on a dock. His count of enchanted objects had diminished by one. Yeah, yeah. And I just, like, that was just so, like, that sh- that shit hit, man. Because it's, it's it, it, that is Gatsby's life, is this kind of menagerie of memories and things that he imbues with meaning and that's what he built his entire existence around and it's that that sort of classic experience of when the thing that you've wanted for so long becomes real it's it can never be what you wanted it can never measure up to what you had in your mind yes yeah it's completely fetishized like he fetishized the the longing by looking out into this light and yeah once once she's actually in his presence just like it's not as good as how nostalgic I felt staring across this dock as a sad boy, you know? Right. Here's some, there's some other just, it's very close to that point, but uh, just like it, uh, the passage is this. Uh, there must have been moments that he, even that afternoon when Daisy tumbled short of his dreams, not through uh, her own fault, but because of the colossal vitality of his illusion. It had gone beyond her, beyond everything. He had thrown himself into it with such creative passion adding to it all the time, decking it out with every bright feather that drifted his way. And no amount of fire or freshness can challenge what a man will store up in his ghostly heart. And like, so yeah, good. So like, and you know, Daisy happens to be the enchanted object in this instance, but obviously she's also a bit of a stand in for just like anything that you're willing to then do all this other somewhat inexcusable stuff for, uh, and only an illusion can kind of propel you to commit those acts, and right. that's the one of those things about you know America, America that uh, 
that drives people to, to, to be heinous and to be hideous and to, yeah. I also think that one of the things that, you know, one of the other connections between this book and Mrs. Dalloway is that this book is also deeply about the process of aging and kind of like looking back at your life and kind of making sense of it, right? Like is things that I missed, things that I still want, things that I hope to do. And, and most people, you know, I think are able to, I mean, ideally, maybe not most people, but ideally kind of strike a balance between all those things. And Gatsby just goes full on just nostalgia is his entire identity. You know what it's like? It's like, what if Peter Walsh was like an American GI instead? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, exactly. Galloway dude. was like the thing that he just built an entire edifice around. Dude, that is, you know, the motto of the podcast. Of course. Every book is a sequel to the last book. This book is essentially an alternative life of Peter Walsh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I like the combo of, like, um, I don't know, the the ways in which you, like, cross the thresholds of different emotions about the characters. You know, like, I, I, would, I would hesitate to even call Daisy and Tom, like, purely evil. But, like, no, uh, I don't think so. you know... Because you, you feel bad a little bit for Daisy knowing the intensity of Gatsby. You're like, fuck, she's about to meet this dude. He's really staked a lot, and he's being super weird. Uh, yeah. Gatsby's toxic, dude. <laughs> <laughs> he is toxic. I mean, I, mean, I mean, like, genuinely, like, I think that... But, I, again, I think that's, like, Fitzgerald strikes a good balance because, like Paul said earlier, he's sympathetic in all these various ways. But, like... You, the the scene where he kind of where it all comes out right where they're in they've rented this hotel room in the city and it's Tom and Daisy and Jordan and Gatsby and Nick and like Gatsby basically just like belligerently like forces Daisy to tell Tom she doesn't love him and I'm like this yeah. sucks like this like is, <laughs> yeah. this feels really bad even if it's yeah. sort of true maybe or Daisy's not happy with Tom like this still sucks and she's not, yeah, she's not, like, she's, like, already, like, fuck. I don't know if I want to deal with all this. Like, you know, like, whatever whatever little genuine romance they had five years prior, it's just so fucking mutated now. And she's like, Yeah, no, I think I, mutated I, yeah. is a good word. It feels very mutated. Like, for sure, Daisy is going through her own issues with Tom and her own way and then Gatsby is just there propelling her forward when she doesn't necessarily want to be propelled I mean maybe she did need to hear the truth and maybe it's a good thing Gatsby did um, just sort of force it out of her but it's also kind of unclear whether or not it is the truth because he's being so toxic and abrupt um, and There's I no, also feel like he he's like can't he can't stop the way he is like there's right. no stopping him not um, at this point in his life. No. Well, so it's you also do like, end up feeling bad for Daisy because he's she's just in the way of his of his choices, and she's a part of his story. True, and and uh, you know, the other key is that Daisy was kind of uh, very importantly like his first taste of money again. Like she's once right. again a rich person who, you know represented something even when they met like even right at the start of the quote-unquote like beautiful pure 
burgeoning relationship. She well, he would have met like, her after his time with Dan Cody, right? Because he went with him no. when he was a kid. Didn't he run away from home to be with Dan Cody? And then he goes, and then, the and then I'm pretty sure, because he's like a kid and he ru basically runs away from home to go on Dan Cody's yacht. Then Dan Cody dies. Mm -hmm. Then Gatsby goes to war. He meets her. Oh, yeah. And when he's at war, he's stationed there. And then he meets, he meets her. her right before he deploys to Europe. Right. So he might have been back in the sort of. In the, back with no money for a little bit, though. Yeah. I mean, he says he says I was broke when I met Daisy. He says that a few times, like. But still, you well, know, that's what I mean? where like, the oh, go ahead. Oh, no, just that she she is like kind of a little bit like another version of Cody, like <laughs> it's like, oh, like a, and, and her her intoxicating qualities are that those born of ease, you know? And yeah. Like, I and it. I think that's where the foundation should have crumbled immediately for Gatsby. But he went the completely opposite direction. He was like. You know, I met this girl and she won't accept me because I'm poor. Like, that should be a foundation for the relationship right there. Like, she doesn't want him because of his status. That's a big red flag. But, well, but she did, though. She did. She did, though. Like, it, I mean, yeah. I, at, least, at least on Nick's telling of his sense of Gatsby is that they, they, they did. There was genuinely something there, I think. At least that's what how I thought of. No, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that there was, but she wouldn't, you know, long term accept him because they were of different status and he couldn't take care of her and stuff. I remember some passage talking about that, I think. He did have to go make his bones. He knew he had to go become what he did become in his mind. In his that mind. that was the other tragedy, right? Is like he gets the biggest fucking house of all time and has huge parties and it's like, yeah, that's that's not what it is. Yeah. That's not, you know, the grind set isn't getting you actually <laughs> You know the hot GF, and the and and the full happiness finally forever. <laughs> so um, here's another passage that I feel like sums up Gatsby's kind of mentality really well, and and some of the themes of the book. So this is on 109 on on the 110, in uh, 1010. Wow, 110, um, <clears throat> right at the bottom of 110. This is Gatsby talking, and she doesn't understand. He said she used to be able to understand. We'd sit for hours. He broke off and began to walk up and down the desolate path of fruit rinds and discarded favors and crushed flowers. I wouldn't ask too much of her, I ventured. You can't repeat the past. Can't repeat the past, he cried incredulously. incredulously. Why, of course you can. He looked, around <laughs> him, he looked around him wildly as if the past were lurking here in the shadow of his house, just out of the reach of his hand. I'm going to fix everything, just the way it was before, he said, nodding determinedly. She'll see. He talked a lot about the past, and I gathered that he wanted to recover something, some idea of himself, perhaps, that had gone into loving Daisy. His life had been confused and distorted since then, but if he could once return to a certain starting place and go over it all slowly, he could find out what that thing was. And, like, it's just, that's it, right? Like, you can't repeat the past. Well, yeah, I fucking can, and I'm going to. And it's right. just, yeah. like, that's that's his attitude. And I just think that it reminded me of... um. Do you know the? It's like a meme format now, where it's like a person in the room with this, like, like with a psychiatrist. That line about like him looking around with the pat as if the past was in his house. Oh, it's like the, the meme. In the room with it's you like right yeah, now? it's the psychiatrist being like, "And this past is it in the room with us right now?" <laughs> <laughs> I think I think nationally, right? There was sort of it could be argued something along the lines of that kind of conversation going on. You know, like especially post the first world war it's like 
okay, there's been a breach, there's been a rupture, like we've we've done something here, and uh, there's a bunch of people like yeah, I think I, I feel like it, it mixes with Dawa in this too. Like, oh, for sure. You aren't you aren't you aren't getting the you know. You aren't getting that back anymore. Because that like, was one of the other main themes of Mrs. Dalloway, right? Which is like, how, can right. do we? It was that tension between moving forward and just like, how do we get back to what it was before this? Yes, but it's also funny because in this book, which I liked, it's that like the the seed of destruction is already in Gatsby's like very personality as a kid. You know, he's already writing down the little notes about fucking poise and elocution lessons and dumbbell exercises and learning, you know, famous uh, phrases to say at parties and stuff. Like, he, he's already been infected by something prior. And so, like, the past isn't even the thing that it's, it's supposed to be. Yeah, it's like, uh, it's more like an infusion with the American dream that is an innate within him. But it's also, I think, a big difference between Dalloway and Gatsby is that, like, there isn't really a, a a feeling or hint of that in Dalloway because it is a, a more American thing, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To just yeah. like bring yourself up by the bootstraps or whatever and get ahead and like that sort of mentality is unique. It's for, it, for America. It, it it's like that. Um, it's like that 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 Faulkner quote, right? Like the past isn't dead; it isn't even past. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Where yeah, yeah. It's like it's it. That's the the thing that sort of drives and governs our current behavior yeah and uh you know he he you meet uh gatsby's dad at the end of the book yes. uh and he's just a super normal rural guy i guess you're supposed to kind of you know gatsby considered him sort of just a rube who right. let life walk all over him but you know it's just like, yeah, he seems like a nice guy who's like, but, but what I liked about that scene, even, you know, he's crying about his son's death and like, such a good boy. But even then he's still like in the big house and he's like, fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you right. Know what I mean, even, right. The, even the dad, the royal dad's like, damn, my son got all this fucking winner. My son's a winner. <laughs> That's it's like, no, he's, not, he, he's bleeding. He got shot in his pool. <laughs> yeah. Right. He's dead, dude. Yeah, he's actually dead. <laughs> yeah, he should be deeply sad about the the tomb he created for himself. But he he and can't it's just like he, he is, can't help but he's himself. not. Yeah, yeah, it's just uh, it's 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 pretty grim. Well, and like his, you know, there's that scene where he shows. I, I can't find the uh, the 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 section right now. I I feel like I highlighted it, but when Nick is talking to Gatsby's dad there's that scene where he shows him like the first photo that Gatsby sent him of the house. And again, it's this disconnect between sort of like nostalgia and imagining versus reality because Nick talks about his Gatsby's father, like almost being more proud of the picture than he is of the actual house. Like that the picture, the picture is the thing that really encapsulates for him what it was that his son became and what it was that his son did. And and it's sort of and then he he whips out the schedule that he made when he was a kid. That's when we we see that, and yeah. it's sort of like, you know, him being dead, literally outside in the pool or whatever. I guess he's in the library or whatever by now on the table. Um, that's less important than the image that the father had created about Gatsby in his own mind. Like the fact that he's dead, all that stuff can't can't crack 
the like nostalgic kind of imaginary that this man has created. Which echoes um, back to the to the green light, I would say, right? It's a similar feeling of just like, you know, pure nostalgia, pure fixation, fetishization. I can't say it. Um, help me out. Fetishization. There it is. There it is. You you said The reality is worse than our imagining of it. Always. Yeah. Of course. Uh, And, you know, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm curious what you guys think, like, the, you know, I mean, the American dream is it as conceived in this book, sort of loosely. Is it is it just you'll be rich and happy if you if you grind it out? I mean, I think it's pretty clearly not that because no one yeah. in this book is happy and they're all rich. Well, not not a court. I'm saying the false bill of goods or oh, whatever. You oh, know, well, yeah, you know yeah. what what is promised. Obviously, we know that you know this book is not a celebration of that whatsoever. Yeah. But, you know, it's just like bootstrap it up and grind. And it's the same shit we've been ta- we've been saying is still now extra, you know, well, so it's, to the moon. Right. <laughs> like, just, right. <laughs> I mean, I think that it's it is that, but it's more it's like obviously this is specifically singling out right the, this concept of the American dream and kind of being wealthy and being happy. And that's pretty like soundly <laughs> rejected in the in the in the text. But I also just think, in general, it's a text about memory. It's a text about nostalgia. It's a text about kind of like the things we think we want, whether it's money. Like in this, the example that Fitzgerald is using is the American dream. But also, like, Gatsby thinks he wants Daisy, but like, mm-hmm. does he really even, right? He, he prefers his nostalgic memory, his nostalgic you know, uh, uh, sort of ide- ide- idealization of Daisy to the real thing in every case. And, you know, that even goes back, there's a scene towards the end of the book when Nick recounts a story Gatsby told him about when he went back to Louisville after he got back from the war and Daisy wasn't there anymore. And he's like sitting on her old house's front porch and he's like, this sucks now. <laughs> and it's not what I remember and what I want. Right, which is is the downfall of... um. I don't know what it would be called, like just over over consciously trying to attain things that uh, are are going to be ruined by your desire for them in a f- super conscious way, like in a super like intentional right. way. I don't know, right? Like, well, I, I think the word you used earlier, Matt, mute, like a mutated way, though. That's like a big proponent of it. it it's like a maybe you can achieve a level of happiness if you do make a name for yourself or you know get more money than you did when you were a poor kid like yeah you're probably a little bit happier but with that mutated sense of desire for daisy um he he couldn't achieve a level of real happiness and the mutated sense of of nostalgia just inherent in his in his mindset mhm yeah he just you know also Maybe this is a huge reach, but I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, just uh, preferring your idea of something and then having that bloat insignificance to the point where there's no way to, uh, to to link it back to the real value of something. It, can I link that idea to the stock market crash that's coming up? <laughs> Go off, King. 
<laughs> I no, that's all I got. That's all I got. I mean, I'm just I'm just throwing I'm just throwing that little nugget out there. I or should have thought about it earlier and done Dogecoin. Doge yes, thank you. Contemporary. Okay, did it. <laughs> well, Caraway was uh he was doing he was interested in stocks, right? He did some stock stuff. So he, is did. That I think that is he was a bond salesman, yeah. I think that is important. Which yeah. is kind of like, you know, the the uh the whole kind of conceit of somebody who trades in bonds is like you're trading on future hope, basically, right? Yeah. In stocks mm-hmm. in general. And, you know, that's Gatsby's whole life is he's been trading on this future hope that he has, uh, this this ideal. But what Gatsby's mm-hmm. actually been doing in reality is bootlegging liquor. <laughs> uh, right, right. It's 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 in, in a real sense. Gatsby's sort of sense of his future and his life is is a bubble. Right. In the same way that the stock market is a bubble, right? It's going to pop eventually when it butts up against reality. But also it's like during the, you know, um, prohibition, right? So um, once again, you've just got yet another example of like everyone's doing this thing that is nominally prohibited, but it's just a facade and like everyone's just doing it still. (laughs) Right. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I don't know. Which I think is sort of like what, you know, Fitzgerald was telling us. Like, Gatsby, I actually think now that you mention it, that his being a bootlegger is kind of significant because it's this thing that's prohibited, but everybody's doing it, right? But he's, the, yeah. he's but also, like, that's what Daisy and Tom are doing, with, but it's only with their emotions, right? It's like, we, right. we, you know, oh, it's, you know, whatever. If it's Tom, okay, cheating, uh, adultery is prohibited, but everyone's doing it. I'm doing it, right? Like... All yeah. of the and then Gatsby, of course, becomes the sort of like avatar of like just over emotional kind of truth telling, I guess, or whatever. And but it's 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 day class A, you know. He does it, and everyone's kind of like a little bit just like ugh, cringe. Like, must we? Yeah, right. cringe. Oh, cringe. Yeah, dude. basically, Gatsby's cringe <laughs> as fuck. Yeah, but but he is doing the thing that everybody else is doing, just more nakedly, both in his emotional sort of mental life. Yes. And in his actual economic life. Yes. So it's it's just wrong, but it's just like he's just doing the wrongness wrong. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Exactly, dude. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean with with a book this short, I, I and and as I've, as I said before, carefully crafted, I would say. I don't think there's I don't think there's much in here that's not to be you know, regarded as like super intentional and, and pretty so are you are you so are you saying that your uh, your high school English teacher was correct to dissect every sentence? Let's look. Okay, look. <laughs> I, I don't think he's incorrect that you could. I think he's incorrect that he should have done that even to you know to a bunch of English students in fucking high school. So so he's he's probably correct intellectually, but very wrong pedagogically. Yes, and I think those are very different things. Oh, definitely. You know, there's a lot of geniuses who could not teach for shit. That's a fact. Um, but yeah, I and I forget what I was saying before uh, about like Daisy. Hmm. What do you yeah, guys think about? Yeah, go ahead. No, no, I I kind of lost the thread. I was just saying like everyone's kind of uh, bad in in equal measure. I would say except probably for Nick. Nick's a little. 
passive. Like he he definitely sees stuff like the infidelity, and he and he and he says nothing. You right. know, like that's his cousin, or whatever. You yeah, know, it's like he doesn't tell he doesn't tell <laughs> Daisy shit. Well, but Daisy, I mean, it's implied Daisy kind of already knows, right? Like when he even when he first yeah, meets you know what I mean? up with like, them. Yeah, for sure. Like sure, you know, a Jordan's got they're gossiping. Jordan's gossiping like audibly. In that's the same I, room with Daisy. He's like, that's what I was gonna ask. Is what you guys Tom thought about Jordan? Tom's mistress. Yeah. <laughs> I liked. I like Jordan. Know. Jordan's uh, kind of the, more of an enigma to me. The symbolism for Carrie riding yeah, a train why? back to Minnesota is just him um, riding a train through his life, observing everything. Is that a stretch? No, I don't think so. <laughs> no. No, but yeah, I feel like he is. He's just kind of like, but I don't observing everything that's happening in the social circle around him, and he's just he's like very good at inaction. But he does kind of redeem himself he's towards disgusted. the end. Yeah, he he's there at the funeral, and he's appropriately disgusted at at a certain point with what he's seeing. Um, and he's also sort of relatably um kind of hesitant i would say to like get super involved in all of the drama yes like he there are stretches of time that you know are, are quick in the in the actual like text of just like and then a couple months went by and like i had lunch and i like worked at the fucking office in new york and like me and jordan went on some dates uh and it's just kind of breezed by so you know there there, are, there were stretches where he's just kind of being like what he is which is like a a, a semi-young guy trying to make a start in like a new part of the country one of the things that he's kind of like uh oh sorry no go ahead he, he's just kind of like the uh like dan humphrey and gossip girl <laughs> I, have you guys uh, seen who that? Is that no who is that uh well if you guys haven't seen it listeners if you've seen it it's a good metaphor I've, I've watched some gossip girl but i don't remember that that person specifically he's the one that he's like the one that gets into the richer group. And he's not. He's, like, from Brooklyn, but he's actually still pretty wealthy. Yeah. Um, And he kind of, like, you know, doesn't really want to mingle much with the group he's in, but he also doesn't do anything to, like, stop anything, so. Yeah. One of the things that I loved about Nick's character was at the very end of the book, after Gatsby dies, when Nick is kind of, like, the only person who's interested in like tying up Gatsby's affairs and trying to contact people that he knew and his family. And like, there's this whole, it's like, you know, a few pages where he's talking about like, he like imagining Gatsby speaking to him from his deathbed being like, dude, you got to tie this up for me. You got to, you got to find, you got to, you have to find somebody, you have to find a friend, you have to find. And of course, like Nick is the friend. Right, like Nick is the right. only person that Gatsby was like pl- could plausibly be said to have been close to, um, and and but he's Nick is almost in denial about it. He's like, oh, maybe I'll call family, maybe I'll call Wolfsheim, maybe I'll call whoever, like anyone for it to not be me, for me to not be this guy's friend. Yeah, and I thought yeah. that was really interesting about Nick's character that he's so concerned at the end when Gatsby's gone with like finding a way to just put it all behind him, right? Like, it wasn't me. I was not involved in this. Do you think it was purely, like, to put 
the horror of it behind him, or do you think he was also just genuinely on some level like this can't be what this dude's life amounted to that like I mm. am of three fucking intimate acquaintances that are now going to literally be the people who bury this man. You know, it's like right. I am not on the same level as this dude's dad, who's the only other person I feel qualified to be here, and everyone else is like, you know, party's over, dude, he doesn't have booze and food, like fuck him, and then Wolfsheim's like you know, I love the kid, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't watch <laughs> people get put under the ground no more. <laughs> right, right. And he gets that phone call, that really funny phone call that one time. Doesn't oh he? yeah, like, with, with the where they're called, like, yeah, they're like they got that you know, Tommy's dead. They, I don't know, some somebody must have tipped off the cops, and he's like, I'm actually Nick, and they're like, boo. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> That was great. A little That's a great scene. Soup song of the criminal, like sort of uh, underworld like, stuff that he was doing. Yeah, and I mean, I just think there was just so much about that that the last chunk of the book where it's the post Gatsby's death, and I like the fact that the only other person to show up to the funeral besides his dad and Nick is this random guy that Nick saw in the in the light in the his drunk guy library, yeah. like in the first twenty pages of the book. There's, I, there's something about like they also he does the, the bit of foreshadowing with like the torn front of the car because mm-hmm. like someone someone like rips the hood of their car off right at the beginning of the book in the first party I think leaving Gatsby's uh, yeah just it's I was like just laughing thinking about like this definitely happened like just people literally blackout just driving like somewhat new cars <laughs> like just all over the place just oh, to totally. back to new york city from like deep long island it's like so dangerous i mean this flying still 40 happens, miles dude, an hour guaranteed. Uh, of course of course but yeah myrtle's when myrtle finally gets killed it's it's one of those like brief moments where it's just gross it's just br- yeah. like there's a couple moments of violence like tom well, this all of it happens to Myrtle, I guess. Uh, Tom, like, palms. He just does a quick hit and like breaks Myrtle's nose. Yeah, because she kind of kind of gets mouthy. <laughs> In the parlance of the uh, book, not uh, later. Not what we would say. <laughs> uh, and then uh, yeah, she gets hit by the car, and like I remember this in high school. I was pretty grossed out. Like, the description is like her breastplate is split and one of her breasts is just like hanging by like a flap. Yeah. Like off yeah. Of her chest. It's and very like <laughs> suddenly really graphic. Just Stephen yeah. King all of a sudden. <laughs> and, and it's, I mean, I wonder if, yeah, yeah, because I, I, I don't have it in front of me, but I remember the line is something like, you know, it, it, it was, it was ripped off so that the, the, the policeman didn't even have to check the heartbeat underneath. And yeah. I feel like, and I feel like that line is kind of like what happens to what, what Fitzgerald is doing to American society or what he thinks he's doing. Right. Like, right. I'm, I'm exposing all this shit. I'm ripping the shit off. And like, you don't even have to check. Like this shit is fucked and corrupt <laughs> and gross. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's no discussion to be had. Like, this is terrible. And the heart isn't beating. Right, exactly. And it's like, you know, Sci Tire has a long history, and 
I don't know. I m- maybe the critical praise, but somewhat cool public response to this book was was a bit of just like, well, it's not that bad. Like, come on, right? <laughs> like, we don't suck. Like, we don't suck this much. Yeah, you're, you're being so you're being super negative right now, dude. <laughs> you're toxic. Dude. Fitzgerald's yeah. toxic, dude. This is toxic. Look on the bright side. Come on, old sport. Lighten up. Come on, yeah, old sport. I mean, <laughs> yeah, the super affected old sport was so funny. I like Tom's just eventually like, stop don't saying that. that. You <laughs> yeah, never said that. Stop. Yeah. Don't call me old sport. And like Fitzgerald, I like that Fitzgerald. And you know, I I read the last tycoon too, but I don't remember much about it. You know, which is unfinished, unfi- right? Yeah. Yeah, it's like literally just ends with a bunch of notes about like some of the plot ideas he had. It's pretty, it's not finished. Uh, but uh, I like that like Faulkner ended up this way too. You know, I like writing screenplays and just sort of being in Hollywood and just drinking. <laughs> yeah, and I I feel like that's such an appropriate kind of. Um, trajectory especially for someone like fitzgerald who writes a book like this uh to end up just sort of being like addicted to booze uh in dire straits needing money and just like writing movies that like no one watches yes (laughs) just for the new the new entertainment that's like becoming popularized i also uh, this is totally shifting gears from that point matt sorry but That's fine. I, I, just because you mentioned, like, I, I feel like the book is really funny, too. Like, there's a lot of moments where I was fucking laughing. Like, just a line or, a, a, you know, a comment or whatever. And, and, like, one of them that stuck out to me because I noticed something a similar... There, it's like a paragraph. It was in Mrs. Dalloway, too. But mm. there's a scene in Mrs. Dalloway. I can't remember the context, but... They're talking, someone's talking about um, a war, like the war in Armenia or something, or like all these terrible things happening to the Armenians. And then like, there's just this one line that Wolf throws in at the end where it's like, dot, 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 or like, or was it the Ar- Azerbaijanis? And it's like, it's because like, it's this like performance of concern, right, for other people. And um, it just comes off as this like critique of like sh- fucking rich shit libs. Right, we were just like, oh God, yes, I'm so concerned about all this. Da, 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 da. It's in that country, right? Or like, I don't know. And there's <laughs> yeah. there's a there's a paragraph in here. I think this is from Gatsby and Nick's first car ride, um, where Gatsby is showing him his sort of his like military decorations and talking about it stuff. And this paragraph, I mean, maybe it's controversial because maybe you could read this um, uh, earnestly, but I read it very satirically. It's on sixty six. Uh, in my edition, and this is uh, Gatsby had just told Nick that he had got this um, award from the government of Montenegro uh, for some service he'd done in the war or something. And um, this is Nick writing now. Little Montenegro, he lifted up the words and nodded at them with his smile. The smile comprehended Montenegro's troubled history and sympathized with the brave struggles of the Montenegrin people. It appreciated fully the chain of national circumstances which had elicited this tribute from Montenegro's warm little heart. My incredulity was submerged in fascination now. It was like skimming hastily through a dozen magazines. <laughs> it's just like, if that doesn't like encapsulate the like liberal attitude, it's just like, oh, I read this New Yorker article about Montenegro. 
You know what I mean? Like it just it it, it, it I just thought it was so funny. And just the phrase "little Montenegro." Yeah. Being like, yes. Yeah. Like repeated, just like clearly also just read, and just like the found phrase that he's just like yeah, you're like even little Montenegro. Right. I didn't actually laugh that much, but after you reading that again, that is funny. Yeah. yeah sure. <laughs> Go back and read it again and laugh. Do it. Do it right. Paul. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's satire, so it's it's supposed to be funny, I would say, but it's supposed to skirt that line a bit. Right. Where you're just like, uh, yep. <laughs> well, and there's uh, there. I feel like there's just a lot of like funny. Like, you know, morbid, but, but again, you know, it's about aging. It's about like whatever. And I mean, another one, I'm just like flipping through my book now and seeing where I wrote lol. Cause that's yeah. where, I, where I write when things are funny. But this is, um, kind of right before, um, the big kind of fight between Gatsby and Tom where he forces Daisy to confess his love. Um, it's on 118. We had luncheon in the dining room, darkened two against the heat and drank down nervous gaiety with the cold ale. What do we do with ourselves this afternoon? Cried Daisy. And the day after that, and the next thirty years. Yeah, <laughs> just like that's that's it. That's part of what the book is about, right? Like, what do you do, you know, as you age and you have these kind of, you know, this nostalgia? Like, what do you do with it? Because because right. these people are fucking thirty, you know, and it doesn't go away. What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? What are, what are you doing? Tell me. Well, and then right after that, Jordan says the most fluffy, strange response. She says, don't be morbid, morbid, Jordan said. Life starts all over again when it gets crisp in the fall. I love that. Like, don't worry about it. It'll just like the, the seasons will change. It just resets. You'll forget. Yeah. And you just keep like having cocktails with me. Right. It, everything just kind of resets, right? Yeah. I'm not the biggest, I'm not anti that sentiment to some level. Yeah, no, same. I, I definitely feel like, uh, I mean, shit, I do that week to week sometimes. Because, I mean, the final sort of, like, little parallel that I can think of is just, yeah, the the seasons, you know? It, it very much comports to the idea of, like, the four seasons being, you know, the, the, the perpetual life cycles. So you got summer and all the partying and shit, and you're sort of segueing into... Uh, Fall and winter, right? You know, and that's that's death, baby. That's it. But it's also <laughs> but it's also cyclical, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I, I wonder where me, Gatsby uh, fell on all that kind of stuff. Gatsby that, just wanted to freeze of, uh, everything. Like whether it's cyclical or lineal, he, linear, he just wanted to fucking freeze it in one moment. Eternal summer, Which, white boy summer. Oh God. <laughs> What do you guys think of um, the fact that Gatsby like didn't use his pool the entire summer until the day he got shot? Um, I think that's an interesting question because he mentions it like three times. Yeah, yeah. He's like, please swim in my. Like, pool. can we please fucking go in the pool? Yeah. And no one ever does. <laughs> yeah. and he's like, I just want to go in the pool. I almost. I mean, maybe I'm looking into it too much, but I almost felt like him sitting at the pool was him finally like easing his mind and calm like he wanted that he wanted to actually sit down and enjoy what he has and what he built or whatever but he like couldn't get himself to do it and then when he finally does he gets shot yeah yes. yeah i mean like one way of thinking about it is like my here's my cringe like undergrad essay take is that like 
he doesn't go in the pool because going in the pool is, you know, it's like it's like taking a taking the leap, right? It's like there's like the before you go in the pool and after you go in the pool, and if the pool is like cold reality, he doesn't want to go in. He thinks he does, but he never actually does it until he until he's dead. Yeah. I think it's more like he'd he'd pass the threshold so hardcore through the like not only is he just disillusioned with Daisy and just like the botched, you know, romantic gesture in the hotel that, you know, showed her true allegiance and then the fucking death and taking it. He's finally like, fuck it. Like I actually can yeah. enjoy this thing I own without a million people also confirming right. that it's enjoyable. Right. You know? Like he just he did the parties and shit. He's like, please, anyone else? And like when he was just showing Daisy all his shirts, the only time he like gave a shit that he had so many shirts. She's like throwing shirts around. She's like, the fabrics are so lovely. And she starts like, crying. Yeah. 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 Oh god, that was uh, that was a tough scene. And he was just like, yes, the only time I care about the shirts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean Daisy's terrible. Like that, you know. Like that's the other thing. Like uh, you can feel bad, and and Gadsby's completely got this distorted sense of what's owed him and what he can do and right but it's like you know daisy daisy also like vapid vapid person yeah but she's also just so encompassed by her upbringing in her life that has twisted her and you know made her that way as well because i i mean i think she yeah i think she's similar to gapsy what i think vapid is a little harsh Daisy. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I see her as like a likable character in a lot of ways as well. Maybe in similar ways as Gatsby, having like a charismatic personality, like probably sure, yeah. the life of the party. Does that make you a good person? No, but um, it made her more interesting and likable for me. But yeah, that moment where she's just smelling the shirts and crying, I was like, "Fucking." <laughs> well, but that, okay, wait, what? but that's. I feel like that you're. I feel like that's a little ungenerous. She's not crying. She's not actually crying because the shirts are beautiful. She's crying because of. She knows what's going on, right? Like she's crying because she knows she gets the situation, that yeah. there's this, that, that that there's this complicated history with Gatsby, and that he's clearly trying to rekindle something and she doesn't know what to do in the moment like she's not crying because of the fucking shirts yeah that's probably true i don't think she's like just a materialist so she feels enough fabrics and nice stuff and she starts weeping because it's just it's so nice right i get that i'm just saying like i don't know like her yeah i'm not trying to demonize her I, i i maybe vapid is harsh but um Gatsby, Tom, Daisy, regardless of what they could have been, right? That's not the point. That's like, or the point is that you can't undo the shit. They're they're all they're all American grotesques now. They're all yeah. They're all just gonna hurt each other and they all suck. Right. I, I don't think you're supposed to be like now. They're all good people. You know, as as you know, people our age, they've they've just been too distorted now. Well, no, of course. And then of course, like at the end of the novel, like. Daisy and Tom just try to kind of wash their hands of the whole thing by going on a like a fucking second honeymoon. You know what I mean? They yeah. just like leave, yeah. and it sucks. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. It just, totally sucks. Do you want to? Yeah, they're like, do you want to like retake our vows in right. uh, the south of France? It's just like, <laughs> just forget all this murder business. <laughs> Ugh. 
and this whole like you said you were in love with someone else business like let's just go on another honeymoon right it doesn't matter like i cheated like you are in love with somebody else it's immaterial I killed let's go to france car. i'm not gonna tell you yeah. let's go to yeah. France. Yeah. it's like a tomato yeah. tomato yeah you did adultery I... i'm in love with someone else let's call the whole thing off you did a it's gonna be more like let's keep it going it. yeah actually <laughs> right and that's the thing like let's just keep the sham going man Right. It's better than not the sham. It's better than being poor. Well, I think that's the that's another point like about kind of the the American elite is that like anything is like giving up anything is worth keeping the facade. And yeah. Gatsby didn't believe that, right? Like he or he didn't, you know, he had a facade, but he it was for something, right? And for these people, the facade is the end goal itself. Right, yes. like the goal is the facade. Yes, they they don't even have a, the 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 glimmering light that they're sort of gazing upon and moving towards in some fashion. There's nothing there. Right, exactly. And like, yeah. But the facade so, for them is like they're so in their world and they have been their whole lives that it, it's not even. It isn't fun for them at all. They don't. It, they can't really experience how someone from like Gatsby's position could enjoy their lifestyle, but they're bored by it. But also I Gatsby mean, doesn't even care about it. They don't, I don't even think they know how to, they don't yeah. even, they don't even know how to, it's, it's, it's the fish and water thing. They don't even know they're in the water. Like that's all they yeah. know. Like that is their whole <laughs> world. Know. You know what I mean? Right. It's un like the like you remove that discomfort that's no longer regarded as discomfort and and that in of itself is is like disturbing to them. Right. You know. Yeah. And that's why it's very like when you when you think about a few years down the line from this book, the stock market crashing and people just like jumping off buildings because they didn't know how to deal with their lifestyle going away. It totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole other ordeal coming. Right. Which is what's yeah. what we were saying before. That's what's so interesting is how it prefigures it a little bit, and how it just like touches on all the stuff that does kind of lead to the next big cataclysm or next couple of like gut punches globally. And then also uh, World War Two. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I, I was just flipping through and I just found another line where it jumped out to me. I was like, "What the fuck?" Where he talks about when George kills Gatsby and then kills himself. And he refers to it spe specifically using the word Holocaust. He says, and then the Holocaust oh, was yeah. complete. And I'm just like, this yeah. is nuts. Like, there's so much, like, ah. it's just one of those, I call it synchronicity, I guess. But, yeah. Jesus. That's strange. Yeah, I remember uh, that one, one too, one, yeah. One final character, just to shift just gears again, but just briefly, is just like, Tom and Daisy have a, a kid. Yeah. And and that poor fucking kid is God. literally just they're just like, hey honey, and the kid's like, I love you, mommy, and they're like, okay, go back with your and nurse. They're, they're just like a nurse, yeah. like just like this little ornament, you know. I don't know. Just a final little sad detail was just like there's this kid like floating around the periphery of these people's lives. Yeah, yeah, I actually totally forgot about that. Of course, because <laughs> yeah, he's like barely in it. She and so one thing they. I wanted to talk about. Um, I really enjoyed the uh, the foreshadowing of of Gatsby's house getting like 
darker and dustier and there's less people coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the scene where they're like looking around for cigarettes and every, there's just like, you know, an eighth of an inch of dust on anything because he's just been like so preoccupied with Daisy. He's just like, I don't even care about cleaning anymore. Fuck this place. Right. Let's just smoke cigarettes. <laughs> but I did like how everything was just like physically becoming um, darker and like scarier and it's all leading up to him dying. Which I thought was just cool. Beautiful. Look, man. The pursuit of their pursuit of wealth for its own sake and it's just bad. It's bad. It's the rot. It's rot. Yeah, very bad. And I just feel like there's a at the end, there's this one line that, I, I mean, it's like, you know, whatever, but it, it, it speaks to that, what you were just talking about, Paul. It's like the second to last page, like 179. I spent my Saturday nights in New York because those gleaming, dazzling parties of his were with me so vividly that I could still hear the music and the laughter, faint and incessant from the garden, and the cars going up and down his drive. One night, I did hear a material car there and saw its lights stop at his front steps, but I didn't investigate. Probably it was some final guest who had been away at the end of the at the ends of the earth and didn't know that the party was over. And it's just like, yeah, that's like the the general attitude of America at the time. Like the party's yeah. fucking kind of over. Like it's you know I know it's the twenties and still all this shit going on, but it's like it's a turning point again, right? Yeah, yeah I mean because what what was the what was the like motivation for the partying? Right, you know distraction yeah it's like obviously nostalgia. the other foot has to drop at some point literally it's distraction and nostalgia it's just all that stuff it's like we just saw reality you know uprooted and, and blah 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 and it, yeah and and obviously you know yeah there's these weird synchronicities and 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 almost prescient sounding observations from fitzgerald in the book that like are just so pertinent to world war ii specifically yeah but yeah i mean like that gathering energy that was in America at least just kind of being ignored by partying and in England by just being stoic, I guess, uh, was gathering and had to have been felt on some level. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, to me thinking about the roaring twenties is like, especially after reading this book again, is just like a a terrible way to think about it. It's more like a lull in a storm, like between storms, like the world war one, huge storm and suddenly there's like this calm in you know in europe and in america and then we suddenly get worse aspects of the storm yeah yeah it it feels like that it's like it wasn't a happy time it was like peaceful quote-unquote but um people were in a very strange nostalgic mindset yeah like things were new like flappers it's demystifying this book Yes. Yeah. yeah. Basically. Yeah. You know, by by someone who was in it and had been disillusioned pretty early age himself. You know, like uh, it's reportage a little bit. It feels like definitely. If you've made it this far <laughs> in the show, uh, we love you. You're the best. And you get rewarded with the fan favorite segment. We just read. We just book. did read another book. We did it. Read. We read another book. <laughs> and we now the only motivation we that we any of us have for reading other books is so we can justify talking about Harry Potter. 
Mm-hmm. That's right. And so my favorite book. My favorite book. Which <laughs> one's your favorite? What ha- I love what ha- uh, <laughs> the Goblet of Fire. It's my favorite one. <laughs> I love. Oh my god, the Half Blood Prince. So this is the segment uh, where we take all the characters or the main characters from the book we just read and place them into their appropriate Harry Potter houses. Mm. Often the most contentious mm-hmm. segment on the show. Yeah, mm. kind of. So who do Yo, we start Jay with here? Jay Gads. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> no, let's go. Uh, let's go lesser first. Jordan. We'll lead Jordan. Up to, let's do Jordan. Jordan. Jordan Baker. Gryffindor. Oh. Gryffindor. Ravenclaw. I would say Slytherin. Gryffindor. Mm. She might, I would say borderline Gryffindor and Slytherin. So she's like Harry Potter. Yeah. <laughs> wow. She definitely. I could see either. I could see either. Yeah. The girl no. who lived. No, she's Slytherin. She's Slytherin. Well, doesn't she? Doesn't it come out that she's just like inherently a liar? Yes. Nick talks about that. Yeah. That she's very dishonest. Slytherin. Yeah. That she cheated Slytherin. in a golf tournament. Yeah. 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 And she's just kind of along for the ride. She's just existing. She has no real like qualms with the behavior of anybody. She's it's, just it's, kind of it's Jordan's world. We're just living in it. <laughs> yeah. Mm. All right. All right. Slytherin. Okay, Slytherin. That, yeah. Definitively Slytherin. Slytherin. Who's Who's next, Matt? <laughs> uh, let's go with Tom Buchanan. Uh, Tom. Huffle. Hufflepuff. No. Slytherin. Mm. Eh, maybe Slytherin. I'm gonna guess what so, is I, so I need to be reminded again what the fuck I mean that, that's the whole thing there's no there's no the, strict the, the, delineations you know it's a vibe it's vibes you know the the I just uh, think Tom the, but, I could see Tom being in like six year old in Hogwarts his family's rich <laughs> he's gonna play Quidditch for the Slytherin team yeah yeah I why though like I, I I'm gonna. Uh, my, He's like racist my, Draco Malfoy, who's also probably yeah, but racist. My, I'm just saying bad Hufflepuff. Yeah. My immediate, uh, my immediate feeling about any of the hereditary aristocracy is that they're Hufflepuff. Mm. That's fair. <laughs> you know, it's just like bloodlines and uh, social, like social networks on like the a super super high level. But that's also Slytherin. Is like all the Slytherins is all. It's all like bloodlines. who's your who's your dad? What, what you know. Like That's how much money does your Slytherin. dad have? Yeah, and he is going the eugenics path. Slytherin, dude, he's Slytherin. Yeah, okay, but and Slytherin is, is all blonde hair, fucking eugenics, right? Mm. Aryan. Yeah, Daisy is Hufflepuff. Daisy, she's bad, and she's tortured about. What I feel like you are. We maybe we need to do a supplemental episode because I feel like you are. You hate Daisy. <laughs> why why you said she's bad and she said she's terrible i said tom. she's bad hufflepuff i think i agree tom's, with that. I tom's slytherin which i guess i could qualify and say bad slytherin i i know that we're not supposed to assume slytherins are bad yes but i'm saying daisy is bad hufflepuff she doesn't know where her loyalties lie and she's like ha- like that's her crisis in the book that's true and otherwise, she's just a she's like a pretty just sort of like fluffy, cheerful person with like she's sad deep down, but she's kind of just trying to make everyone feel happy. I would say, yeah, in her way. Yeah, that's fair. And she's panicking about who she prior promised to be with. 
That's true. Yeah, she's, yeah, she's struggling with her uh, with her loyalty. That's a good she point. She has loyalty mm-hmm. to Tom, and it's misguided. But also to Jay. Also Jay. to Jay. So, yeah, yeah. she's Hufflepuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nick. Nick Carraway. is Hufflepuff. I'm going to say Hufflepuff. Why? Because I also just feel like he's, like, temperamentally kind of drawl and is along for the ride. Um, he, he, I think he's his main sticking point as a character is inaction. Um, I think he does have some braver moments, maybe like when he's, when he's talking to Tom after Gatsby's dead and he like kind of calls Tom out on it, on what he yeah. maybe said to George. So he had like a, a few, like a, that was a brave moment. So yeah. it's Gryffindor, but um, he's, he's, he's loyal to Gatsby though. He's, I would say. he's waning Hufflepuff rising Gryffindor. I like yeah. that. Can we say that? <laughs> new, Is that even allowed? New... I just made that up just now. Hold he's on. not allowing it. He's judge he's, rules. He's or if you want to go Fantano ranking, he's he's soft Hufflepuff, leading into soft Gryffindor. He's yeah. right on the edge. I don't I don't know if I yeah. want to open the floodgates to a Fantano <laughs> style of grading of hat sorting, but okay. If or I guess it would be like strong though. Hufflepuff, soft Gryffindor. I'm going to call him soft okay. Gryffindor then. I'm going to say soft Gryffindor too. Yeah. Yeah. He, gonna, I, I would I'm say he's m- strong Puff. I would say he's more Gryffindor than Puff, but I totally get Puff. Yeah. Okay. okay. That's a nice, easy agree so, to disagree. Yeah. With not a lot of bile behind it. Uh, is that just Jay now? Yeah. Jay. Obvious Puff. He's a puff to the core. <laughs> or is he Slytherin? Because it's all about him. It's all about him and his his world and his delusions and it's his desires are the at the forefront of his mind at all times. I think in the heat of the moment I think the murder, the hit and run is the big um incident that really shows that he's still puff. But if anything, my my view of the hit and run is that that's Gryffindor because he takes the fall that's for really Daisy. Gryffindor. He could tell that's Tom really that actually Daisy was driving the car, not me, even though it was my car. And he doesn't. But that is also or puff because he's doing it for loyalty and for loyalty. a friend. Yeah, right. Or for yeah. a love. For a he love. doesn't just do it for a stranger. Yeah, no, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. But that is that Slytherin. Because it's his again, his desires, his wants. But I think I'm, getting, I'm, I'm pointing him towards. Uh, yeah, but I mean, Snape was a Slytherin. He his whole life was oriented around true uh, Harry's mom. True facts. True facts. Slytherins can love. Well, is that what I'm saying? So is Gatsby like Snape? I think get. I think I'm putting him in Slytherin. Yeah, I think he's just like, he's really ambitious, and he's kind of devious in his dealings with you know bootlegging. But he's not really ambitious. Like you said, you said you said earlier, Paul, like once Daisy goes away, he doesn't give a fuck about any of that other shit. Yeah, but he still But he had was to before have... her. True. Yeah, when even he was as a kid. a kid, like writing that yeah. He had that ambitious Yeah, he's slithering ahead mindset. He's slithering. She ended up being like a, a yeah, she he's slithering because she ended up being more of like just a this like extra bobble. He's slithering. Yeah, for sure. Like a tro- he, she was a trophy to be won. Yes, that had the highest sentimental value of anything. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. All right. Easy clap. Good work. Easy clap. Good work, everybody. So now let's let's, let's fucking give this book our scores, dude. So Paul's to go last, and Dib's not first. Matt. Oh, shit. Okay. Fuck. All right. Uh, (laughs) And then I want to give this book. Yeah. I want to give this book a 4.3 yeah where did it i asked this question last time and you've had a week to think about it what 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 was it what did you not like about this book like where does it lose those points for you um from being like near perfect basically mm. So you're agreeing um, with those critics that we disagreed with at the beginning. It's too good, therefore it loses it's points. It's too good. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, yeah, I, I, fuck. It's not that it's like too good. It is very slight, though, um, and. I was thinking about this in the reference Dalloway, which just felt bigger. Yeah. Um, and I would say that this book is trying to do, you know, not something that has the same influences, like in the literary tradition that like Wolf was like playing off of and, and kind of like spurning and, and, and like, you know, whatever. But, uh, I, yeah, fuck. I don't know. I would say I would say Fitzgerald's a lesser writer than she is. Uh, so yeah, it's this. I, I my I guess my only thing to say, and it, maybe it's un or disappointing, is just like I feel like it was also trying to achieve a similar scope of critique about a culture that Dalloy was doing, and it's this is going to have to be in reference to her, this book, that book. Uh, and it was just pretty localized, and I think uh, it was really fucking good, but there were still some, like, gaps that I would have been, felt were filled in even with, like, some small gesturings towards, like, other elements of what was going on socially and stuff like that. I don't yeah. know. That's the best I can do. Yeah. All right, so then I got to go because Paul's to go last because it's picked. So, um I mean, I think, you know, I'm almost, I'm like exactly where you are pretty much, Matt, on the score. I was like Mm -hmm. 4.4. I I agree. I think think Dalloway is a better book. I think Wolf is a better writer. I think that um, overall, I mean, you know, we could talk about, we didn't really talk about the writing too much. Like, is it overwritten? I don't really give a shit about, I I feel like those conversations are kind of cringe. But I think that there's a there's a reason this book is taught in high school and a book like Mrs. Dalloway isn't. I, I think yeah. that um, <clears throat> some of the symbolism stuff, it's kind of like you know baby's first symbol. You know what I mean? It's like you like uh, yeah. like like the T.J. Eckelberg sign, like you it's said, more straightforward. It's a little straightforward, a little heavy handed almost. Um, uh, some of the other stuff. I mean, I do think that that so 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 like I, I yeah I, it. it it doesn't not hit because of those things. Like it doesn't diminish the book to me really, but it's like I said, there's a reason this is taught and some of these other books aren't because this is a way to get people thinking about, ah, what does this mean? What does this obvious symbol mean? 13 year old or what a 14 year old or whatever. Um, 
I do feel like I'll say that like reading this book for the first time since high school, it somehow still felt like I said earlier, like I hadn't, I, I couldn't tell you much about the plot if you really asked me, but it's, it, it feels like it's in me already. Like it's so fucking elemental and like primal to just being an American in a way. Yeah. And, and, and specifically maybe an American who cares about literature and art or whatever. It's, Probably. It just has that kind of um, aura, I guess. And, like, that is hard to replicate. Um, so I'm at a, I'm at been, four, I'm at a 4.4. 4. We have been sort of, like, ingesting these critiques in numerous forms, I would say, for a very long time. Yeah. What did you guys give Dalloway? What were your scores for Dalloway? I have them right here. Matt gave it a 4.7, and I gave it a 4.63. So both higher than this, which I stand by. I think I was at like a 3.9 or something. You were at, yeah, 3.89, exactly. Yeah. I think I'm going to give this one... uh, I'm like right around where you guys are, too. I think I'm like a 4.29. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, buddy. <laughs> Love it. Price is right. Price is right game. Yeah. yeah. You're somehow more yeah, right I, than I, me. <laughs> <laughs> Just for being more granular. But I think you uh, you guys basically nailed it. I mean, I, I think you're right that it, it feels like um, a book that you would read in high school because the symbolism elements are so, like, kind of cut and dry. Um, I think I, I'm giving it a higher score than Dalloway. Simply because I felt it more to be more of a, an enjoyable read, just in terms of the writing style. Yeah. Um, Wolf's writing is difficult for me, um, and it, it, like I think I talked about before, like gave me anxiety. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. this I, I liked how uh, Fitzgerald can like be so critical and so satirical. While still giving you that sense of like, I feel like I'm in this romantic, um, yeah, yeah, world oh, yeah. of the '20s. Like he, he's critical of it, but he's also encapsulating it beautifully, which I thought was like a a nice line to ride. Yes, um, and I, I, you know, I, I like the the way he would kind of spring things into the story, or spring like a really kind of abstract, beautiful passage seemingly out of nowhere and it it can kind of take you off guard and i really like that about his writing as well um but yeah the symbolism elements do take it down a few notches because they are so blatant um and i think you're right man i think i would i i, I would have wanted more like get like more world building i guess more I don't, not necessarily more characters but more themes and um there's there's something a lot of- lacking i can't put my finger on but yeah, it, it, I guess the best way I could think to describe it is almost like um, cautiousness a bit. Mm. Like, you know, uh, I, I feel like this thing was maybe worked on for so long and it was like the big third novel. And, you know, I don't know, like, it, it, yeah, there's there's a sort of uh, calculatedness to it. And I which think that's one in of some the... ways helps the, the themes again. But like, yeah, it's uh, it pulls punches in certain places, in my opinion. Well, I think that's one of the strengths of Dalloway in comparison to this this novel, which is that oh, yeah. 
you know, that book, like you said, I think you said earlier, Matt, like that book just, it feels bigger, but it feels bigger because it's only addressing a day, right? And I feel like this book is trying to, to address so much and it's over a longer time frame, and it just, it, it feels... I mean, like, I, I mean, it's, I don't know how else to say it, but like, it could have been longer. I feel, I, I do think it could have been longer yeah. and I think it would have been fine. Uh, so like if those critics that you mentioned earlier by it's too tidy meant that it's like too short, then I kind of agree with that. Like everything just kind of happens in an order and it's great. Everything that happens is great. And the writing is great. You know, all that, but mm -hmm. it, it feels small compared to its ambitions in a way compared to when you specifically when you're comparing it to Dalloway. Yeah. And I don't mean to like have this circle that book so specifically. It's, it's just hard not I to read per yeah. prior. And like, it feels like similar in its subject, but you know, like I, I do like the whole idea of like an American sort of uh, vivisection of, of that time period being also kind of a fucking soap opera yeah. and a melodrama. It feels appropriate. Um, Gossip but, girl. you know, Anna Karenina, <laughs> that shit's a soap opera, basically. It's like 900 pages. <laughs> I know, it's big. Yeah, this thing doesn't have to be huge, but yeah, you know, we've all kind of t said it in different ways. Like I'm, I'm, I'm officially well, downgrading my score to exactly Matt's score, 4.3. Yeah, that's wow, right, because okay. I'm perfect. <laughs> I've fucking crushed it. I think that's right. I mean, we're all right there, basically. Yeah, yeah Just basically. Just to reiterate again, but maybe say in a different way, I think one thing that... Maybe I should boost my Dalloway score, I don't know. But I think that Wolf had a... You can. Like, it's legal. The timidity of Fitzgerald, like you were talking about, Matt, he's kind of like pulling his punches and it almost feels safe and maybe too... Maybe I am agreeing with those critics a little bit because it does feel... That calculatedness feels a little bit stringent. But Wolf is Wolf's book felt more like a very confident, swift she flow of artistic off. of artistic <laughs> expression. Like she had her voice, she knew what she wanted to say, and it just felt like it flowed. Even though it was difficult for me to read, and, but like I, you know, what I'm trying to say like Definitely. it almost like she she felt more confident in her writing. Um. Yeah. Even though yeah. there, I mean, it's it's hard to say that. Fitzgerald pulled any punches because there's obviously a huge gruesome death scene too. So that's a big punch, but, um, yeah. Yeah. I'm not, anyway. I'm not sure. I mean, either way, we're all in the fucking mid fours. It's not like this book was, uh, uh, bad. <laughs> it, it, you know, it's, it, there's a lot in it's, it, the, the themes seem to be perennial. At least they've, they've lasted, uh, you know, uh, hundreds of years <laughs> or a hundred years, but like, uh, yeah, I don't know. If, if you haven't read it since high school, read it again. It's better Do than you, it's, it's better than you remember. We can, we, I think we can all agree that we, that's basically a guarantee. Unless you're a yeah. douchebag, unless you're a fucking douchebag who this was your favorite book since high school and you've never read another book, then fuck you. But or thank you. you but thank you for listening to the podcast. Yeah, and also if, if you, you were... think Tyler Durden is Great Gatsby, yeah, no, fuck you, yeah, fuck you, dude. <laughs> but also, did you ever see? Uh, they were in the same room together. Of course, it's, it's, <laughs> doesn't even doesn't even hold up. All right, damn it.
Sorry, Palinwick. Okay. All right, well, uh, that was The Great Gatsby. And we are Spinecrackers. And we are Spinecrackers. Uh, go to our YouTube channel, go to our Patreon, go to our Instagram and Twitter. It's just Spinecrackers on all of those. Oh, we didn't say our names. Gabe. Matt. Paul. Signing off. Bye-bye. <laughs>